Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, shooting rats in a dump here in 2019. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nyborg. And I'm Phyllis Goh. And with us today is uh, is Whitney Freelander. Hello. Hello. Um, Whitney, I neglected to ask you uh, what publications you write for, but Whitney's a journalist. I'm a journalist. I'm an entertainment journalist. Um, I write for lots of publications, maybe some that are listening that would like me to name them, name drop them. Okay. Um, drop, drop those names. Drop those Let's names. see. I, I interviewed Phil for Rotten Tomatoes, which is very it's nice. True. That was fun. Yeah. Um, there we, um, some mutual respect going out for that. Um, I paced Variety. I used to be on staff at Variety. They still let me free freelance for them, which is very kind of them. Um, Marie Claire, Cosmo. Wow. Things. So those things the, you might have read. Those are big ones. Those are big ones. Yeah. And, and we're going to, we're going to talk about, uh, Woody Allen today. All right. So we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> we got a lot of work to we do. We got a lot of work to do here. And, uh, you know, Whitney, we generally like ask our guests questions about where they were in 1999, which and were, yeah, yeah. other movies they liked in 1999, which we could certainly do with you. Okay. But my question is, why so bold? <laughs> Can I, I? I will just say <laughs> that we. So this is a movie that Kenny and I have sort of both known was on the horizon. We knew that at some point we were going to have to talk Woody Allen, mm-hmm. um, and. I had sort of thrown it out to a couple people and everyone has sort of 
pushed back on it. Everyone's, so like, everyone's a scaredy cat. Everyone's a little bit of a scaredy cat. Um, Maybe I'm just stupid. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, I don't no. think so at all. I, I think that, I think truthfully, I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to talk about Woody Allen and I knew that I wanted to talk about it with, uh, quite frankly, a female as well. I thought that three guys sitting around talking about Woody Allen probably wasn't for the best. And I want to sort of get a whole bunch of different perspectives on a problematic filmmaker now who has a long storied career. And this film is sort of a, it's a weird one in the sense that it, it was, it kind of came out at a time when he had, was just about to sign or had just signed a huge DreamWorks deal. And he was about to do maybe the, the worst stretch of his career, I think ever a string of four or five movies that are all basically unwatchable. Uh, Small time crooks, not unwatchable. Okay, there's was amazing in that. There's always like and bright spots in his movies, but like after I watched that movie, I also, <laughs> I also, like, I, I also like the basic, I, the, 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 the premise of it. Pretty terrible, mm-hmm. but the the first half is pretty fantastic. Right. I I've only I, I, I full disclosure saw it once in the theater. Did not like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curse the J Scorpion, awful. Yeah, really no, not good. No one's running for that one. Hollywood ending. Really bad. Uh, anything else? The Is the, the Christina, yeah, Christina Yo, Ricci. Yeah, where like he basically called Jason Biggs and was like, "So you'll be playing me? Just do me?" Yeah, yeah and Jason Biggs was like, "Like American Pie, wide eyed." He was <laughs> yeah, like, "Yeah, yeah sure, okay, yeah, whatever you say." <laughs> he does that, Jew master. <laughs> but even though Jason Biggs isn't Jewish, not a Jew, not a Jew, not, not Jew. one of us. Really shocking. interesting, shocking. I know Jason Biggs so and Weird Al, not us. Int- Weird Al too. Weird Al's no. not one of our people. Kenny's so disappointed. Kenny's no. gonna Google it right yeah, now yeah. because he's the best Jew. <laughs> he's the he's best of us. He's not a Jew. Yeah, like even though he's not like the. Oh wait, do we actually is... have three Jews talking about Woody Allen we too? Because that's also so that, important. That's also yes. an interesting. But I but I will say that and and the Jason Biggs thing of just play me that Woody's done that many times, mm-hmm. much more successfully than that. Right. Uh, but but all right, so wait, but all right, so you're 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 running through his shitty run. Which that, is that's fair. yeah, and, and anything else? Yeah. After That's the that, DreamWorks deal. After that, yeah, he had a monster. Like because Match Point was like oh five oh six. So Melinda Melinda was the Melinda Melinda was the next one, which is a good yeah. movie. Yes, uh, Match Point is like like I want to preface this all by saying we are not going to just sit here and talk about how great Woody Allen is. <laughs> we are also going to talk about how terrible he is as human for no yes like no doubt. So mm-hmm. I, Match Point's a masterpiece. Um, scoop, but. Cassandra's dream, forget it. Chris, Vicky Christina Barcelona is a, I love that. Is movie. It I love that movie. Yeah. Sweet. Even though it's got some Christmasina going on and, uh. You're not a Christmasina fan? Ooh, let's no. talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk I about Christmasina. Nope. Not, not to general, not to generalize the females, Phil, but <laughs> can we call their female? Well, I, but I want I'm not a female in the room, so I can't at, speak for my entire gender. You're the only woman. I, I just, at, you understood what I meant when I course, said but that. Of course. Um, I thought all women liked Christmasina. Am I crazy? No, I don't know about that. Well, here's the other thing. I was a huge fan of the Mindy Project, and yeah. so yeah, that's right. I got, I got sick impression. of the got sick of Danny real quick there. Okay. Um, uh, I also, um, you know, I love the book Sharp Objects and his portrayal of that character in the miniseries. I was like, nah, I'm bored. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that people who love the book did not love the miniseries. He's also in um, what's that Rashida Jones, um, Andy Samberg movie? I like that movie. Uh, no, Celeste I like that Jesse too. Forever. I don't like him yeah. in it. Yeah, he's not good in it. Wow, Chris Messina. Mm-hmm. He's not great in it. Uh, he's also not great. At Ruby Sparks, I think he's in that too, and he's not great. And in that. also um, with Amy Adams again in um, Julie and Julia. And yes, I'm just- but I will say to I am I am currently rewatching Six Feet Under. 
Yeah. And he's great in the tail end of Oh, no, he's totally good as playing the foil. He's like, really, really great. He's, and maybe that's just his thing, is maybe I'm sick of seeing him play like these, like... Yeah, yeah that's, like, fair. that's fair. Yeah, yeah. these like, babes. Yeah, well, also Someone just like these babe. yeah. kind of like not that interesting, lukewarm, sweet husband guys, except for on Mindy Project. And then I'm yeah. like, uh, okay. He also looks a lot like Greg Iserson. I don't know if you know Greg Iserson. Oh, you know I know Greg Iserson. He looks like Greg Iserson. I guess so. Anyway, that's the most inside baseball thing. But but I I want to also just preface Mm -hmm. really quick on Match Point, which is that um, it's just half of Crimes and Misdemeanors. Like He basically just did it again, Mm. which is why it's... Basically, the 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 idea the, of him having to kill his his Landau half, yeah, I guess it Can doesn't. Not doesn't to say that I don't like it at all but. to me, but I guess I see what okay. you're saying. This is my favorite match point fact: is mm. that I went to the movies at ArcLight a couple months before Match Point came out, and there was a trailer for it. And I don't remember what we were saying, but it was some sold out like opening weekend movie. And they play the trailer for Match Point, and everyone's like riveted. And it's like this is fascinating. And at the end, they were like, you know, it says a film by Woody Allen. And someone in the background goes, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, that sounds up match point. Yeah. It it does feel as... Someone who's never seen Crimes of Misdemeanor. Someone who's never seen Crimes of Misdemeanor. I mean, he's... I guess I want to... We should talk generally about Woody Allen. But I do want to rewind real quick and talk about Whitney's... I I just want to finish his... his, Mm -hmm. Because he made Midnight in Paris, which... Parents everywhere loved. Well, it's Owen Wilson playing, playing Woody Allen. Allen. Yeah. But then he made Blue Jasmine, which I think is his best yes. movie since, like, probably the 80s. Yeah. I fully agree. Um, With a towering performance by Cate Blanchett. An, an incredible yeah. performance. And I wonder, if part of it also, I think, is the performance by Cate Blanchett. But it's an incredible character, too. It is. It's, an, um, yeah. it's a character he never really had had the guts to do. It's like a little bit Hannah. Woman. It's yeah. a little bit Hannah and Her Sisters, yeah. but Hannah and Her Sisters. But it's the I would say it's the best Woody Allen movie since Hannah and Her Sisters but or it, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Yeah, it's I, I also, also draw some Mia Farrow parallels too. You can do that in Sweet Lowdown too. Yep. Yeah. But also like the idea of like the scorned woman mm-hmm. going. Yeah. I, w- I would also say too that um Sally Hawkins is so good in Blue Jasmine and mm-hmm. doesn't get enough credit for Sally Hawkins is such a great actress. She's the best. Period. She's yeah. The best. yeah. So she supports Kate's performance right. in so many ways. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that Blue Jasmine's probably going to be the last one that anyone talks about because it does feel like we're we're done now. It's a post Woody Allen world. It's a post. I don't, I don't think his films are getting released. Certainly not getting released in theaters. I think that he might be able to, you know, stream them somewhere well, or get even a Amazon. Deal. Like he had that Amazon thing that. Yeah. I, I imagine that he will continue to get international funding. I think that his movies will probably still get released internationally. Uh, the occasional one might find some way over here, but I, I think that everyone's basically. I'll make a done. different prediction. Oh, please. Also, I want to go. Can I just go back a little bit yeah, with sure. the Woody Allen stuff? What year was Everyone Says I Love You? Everybody Says I Love You. It was the late like, 90s. It was like love, right before Sweet and Lowdown, well, that's, right? See, that's I, my... I thought it was 98, but I think it's actually a little earlier. No, it's it's 96. That's the stretch for me. Yeah. That's my favorite stretch Aphrodite, of his career. Everyone Says I Love yeah. You, Deconstructing mm-hmm. Harry. Yeah. I don't like Celebrity. I don't like I Deconstructing like Harry, so it's okay. Oh, I love Deconstructing really? Harry. Yeah. Um, Bullets Over Broadway is my favorite Woody Bullets Allen Bullets Over Broadway is really funny. I mean, it's... And I... I adore that film, but mine is the very problematic Manhattan. Yeah, which really, is one of my favorite movies ever made. So deeply problematic. From <laughs> that movie doesn't age well. It's so beautiful to look at. It's like it's it, well, you're a New Yorker it too. Is the way I feel about the way he feels about New York in that movie and the monologue about New York is the way I feel about New York. 
That's um, why you love that Gershwin song too. I'm sure. I, I, I'm part of part 100%, of it. Hundred percent. A hundred percent. That Gershwin Gershwin playing under that monologue yeah. about Willie Mays and jazz in New York and the way the, the way it's shot and the cinematography. Yeah. It's so gorgeous. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners, that I've just raving about <laughs> not just any Woody this, Allen yeah. movie the Woody Allen movie where he's dating the young girl yeah. I think alright yeah. so I, 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 I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna hold Sweet and Low Down accountable for the exact same thing mm-hmm. um, though I was planning on it mm-hmm. but I've now called myself out alright I'm moving on let's talk about Let's talk about Whitney. Yeah, let's talk about Whitney. Sorry, we're, we're <laughs> ping-ponging around. But, so 1999, where are you living? Uh, 1999, um, so I started college in the summer of 98. Um, so I was either, depending on what month we're talking about in 99, I was either finishing up my freshman year in college or going through my soft, beginning my sophomore year of college. Um, where did you go to college? I went to University of Missouri, Columbia. That would be in Columbia, Missouri. Where did you grow up? Uh I graduated high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So um, Little Rock, Arkansas did not really necessarily – we had an independent theater. Um, and my friends and I would go to it a lot, and it was pretty awesome. I think it was also doubled as the Dollar Theater. And my friends who are listening to this podcast right now are going to be on <laughs> me about to fact check that. <laughs> um, but um, I, you know, I, we saw, I saw Deconstructing Harry, I think, um, on a date. Um, yeah, That's a tough date movie. Yeah, I mean, also, I don't think I necessarily got most of the humor because I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom's favorite movie was Annie Hall, so I watched Annie, which mm-hmm. we can also have a, a therapy session to therapist to discuss that. Every single Woody Allen movie <laughs> yeah. is problematic because every single Woody Allen protagonist is Woody, and he every single one, sure. whether he's playing that character or not, and every single one has really retrograde attitudes towards women sure well the, the irony being of course mm-hmm. that he actually writes tremendously like three-dimensional female characters like i actually think he's written some of the best female characters it's dialectic man it's a dialectic he on right. one hand he worships women yeah. on the other hand he denigrates right. them he yeah. denigrates them um you know, which is but but it's just I, that's sort of the, the, the so, paradox right. that is Woody Allen in a lot of ways which I think is interesting. I mean yeah, I think he that he absolutely worships women, he just also wants to marry a child. So right. His child. I mean my favorite my favorite <laughs> happen to be the closest one in proximity. <laughs> right. I mean to be fair. My favorite line from Annie Hall is the Carol Kane line. It was like not at all I re- I love being I enjoy being reduced to a cultural stereotype yeah. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. I quote yes. all the time and it's just like <laughs> I interviewed Carol Kane a couple of years ago for oh, awesome. Kimmy Schmidt, and I was like, "Can't say it, can't say." It. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, I, I wish you had asked her about Woody Allen and being in Annie Hall. What that what, would have been was, interesting. It was something, thoughts, yeah, it was something that had absolutely nothing, nothing to, to do with, do with it. That, yeah. And I was like, oh, I, and it was over the phone, and I was like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. She seemed lovely. Um, hopefully, we, she and I can still be best friends. But I was <laughs> dying to ask her about, like, you know, what's it like to be the friend as educated overly. <laughs> Socialist summer camp. Do you remember some of your favorite films in 99? Sure. Um, so 1999, I was um, a working for my college paper, which mm-hmm. um, was called The Maneater. It's still nice. called The Maneater. Watch out. Here she comes. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> or Life is a Hollow Nut Song. It's still around. It's still called The Maneater. Uh, University of Missouri is the home of the Tigers. There's a pun. 
I know it's oh. so much more creative. It's very yeah, so much okay. more creative. So, you know, Tigers. University of Missouri, Columbia is University of Missouri. Yes, that's all right. So, yes. the, so that's like where um, a lot of basketball players went. Yeah. Uh, um, so Quinn Snyder was the coach. Quinn Snyder when, when I was who's uh, who's last night? Rush, Kareem Rush, Kareem Rush. Yeah, was there probably when you were there, right? Yeah. So here's it my good, thing. It was a good team. Yeah. yeah. Um, my yeah, I think. I know zero about sports, um, but I remember Quinn Snyder because of hair. His hair was magical. He had this. He, he had this like real Wall Street villain look to him. Yes. Still has it. Now he's just older. He was he's he was older. super young and handsome and villainous looking. Really, he's a lovely guy. He had like a Mark Feuerstein vibe about him, like, <laughs> like with the curly like hair. Handsomer. Yeah, definitely. Mark Feuerstein, less handsome Jewish, guy. I'll look up Quinn Snyder. He's much handsomer. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's, he's, he's Quinn he's, Snyder. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's weathered now. Yes. But he came into the student union bookstore one time when I was in there and there were like, it was, it was like Inspector Clouseau. It was like all these <laughs> girls like hiding around corners and trying to peek around oh and see him and like catch I, him. I get it. Yeah, he's got a real Gordon Gecko vibe. Gordon Gecko. <laughs> he's got a Gordon Gecko Young, more than Mark, Mark Forrest. He's got kind of a Jared Kushner vibe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not a nice thing to say about the great Quinn Snyder. Kind of a Stephen Weber vibe if you crossed yeah. him. That's yeah. who would play him. Stephen Weber. Yeah, yeah. Stephen sure. Weber more, yeah. than, more than Mark. It's yeah. The curly hair is in, the Mark yeah. factor. In, in, the, yeah. in the movie about the, the 2000 Missouri Tigers, you <laughs> definitely cast the inevitable, so yeah. inevitable movie. Because, you know... <laughs> There are lots of famous actors who went to university. Chris Cooper went to Mizzou. Okay. Yeah. Um, Chris went- Cooper, great actor. Great actor, by the way, in American Beauty, a movie I watched when I was sure. um, problematic movie now. Totally problematic movie <laughs> yeah. now. Um, does not age well. Uh, so my favorite movies from that era. At that time, I was um, trying to be an you know an arts writer for the student paper, um, and my friends and I would think that we were way too intellectual to handle some of the things uh-huh. and we would write you know snotty reviews about uh, patch adams and you know fair <laughs> <laughs> just for what it's worth but, like you know i i remember writing some line if it wasn't for patch adams it was for that other robin williams movie where he's dead and like he's in heaven what dreams may come? yeah yeah and i was talking about how Great like Robert. how he's trying how hard <laughs> how it's hard for him to be serious when he doesn't have a beard or it, it's it's uh, not it's something that a stupid 18 year old would say yeah um sassy you know yeah 18 year old yeah, yeah. And so I think my favorite movies at that time, I mean, I remember loving Election, but again, I so just graduated high school. It still holds up. Yeah. Oh, I it's mean, the best. Yeah. Career defining role for Miss Race there. Yeah. I mean, Tracy Flick, the best. Tracy Flick. I mean, yeah. I know she had cruel intentions that year too. And she did. That, that show certainly has its place in the canon, but. Kenny's a big cruel intentions fan. I am fan. a massive cruel intentions fan, and yet I am a bigger Election fan. Yeah. Well, election is just election it's is perfect. Just perfect. It's a perfect. It's but, a perfect movie. Yeah. I, you know, the thing is, like Reese never really played that kind of character again. The the cruel intentions character. No. Um, Tracy Flick is basically just the Elle Woods is is just one step removed from Tracy Flick. I would I would say that Big Little Lies is is well, kind I of mean, a little bit. Yeah. When she did Big Little Lies, there were lots of interviews of yeah. asking her politely yeah. about the yeah. the connection. But also, she I mean, Little Fires Everywhere, which she's mm-hmm. going to be in, and it's just like, oh, this is totally. Grown up crazy. Well, because, yeah, because Little Fires Everywhere is set in Shaker Heights, which is Ohio. And mm-hmm. it's, you know. Where like, did election take place? Because it's Nebraska because it's Alexander yeah. Payne. It's always Nebraska? And I think he's, isn't that his thing? Like he's from yeah, Nebraska? I guess. Yeah. So I mean, other not... than Sideways, I would say most of his films mm-hmm. are. That's, yeah. yeah, Sideways wasn't. Sideways, Sideways is adapted. Yeah. yeah. And it's just interesting. He's, yeah, yeah he's. 
Alexander Payne. We're, I mean, we're going to do our election episode. I'm, I'm excited to do it because Kenny is a fan of all of Alexander Payne's work. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a fan of one, one movie. Alexander <laughs> Payne has done. Just and hates everything I else he's done. Like, I don't like election, the about schmetters. I, mean, I despise. <laughs> I don't. I, I have no strong feelings for about yeah, schmetters. I despise but, about yeah. sideways is the only one I'm lukewarm on. Um, but you love downsizing. Downsizing is one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> Um, about, <laughs> and, and I would also say I'm lukewarm on Nebraska. Yeah. Um, I don't hate Nebraska and I don't hate sideways, but I, I haven't seen Citizen Ruth in a long time, so oh, I can't yeah. even. Yeah. I've never either. seen that. And I'm, you know, yeah. Citizen Ruth might be okay because be. in Citizen Ruth, he can't have his protagonist be scorned by a woman in an unforgivable manner. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a Woody the, thing. Kind of a Woody it, thing. It's an Alexander Payne thing. Every fucking yeah. Alexander Payne thing, except Nebraska and maybe Citizen Ruth, which I've never seen, yeah. has a woman do something completely indefensible to a man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Look at it. Well, what happened? I mean, sideways, what woman does something completely indefensible there? Well, she... She dumped him when she treated like a completely indefensible act. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. All I think about is Sandra O oh getting, yeah, like, getting kicking, kicking the shit out of Thomas Hayden because he deserved it. Sure, because yeah. yeah. one of the worst characters in movie history. Uh, I think that I think <laughs> he, both. both he, I, yeah, I do think that he writes pretty consistently deplorable men, mm-hmm. um, like men that are very hard to root for, but always We're still talking about Alexander Payne. We yeah, go back to but Woody always, gives, <laughs> but always gives them a happy ending. It's blurry. He always yeah. gives him a happy ending. It was very Apatowian and, in that regard. So, I mean, look at About Schmidt. About Schmidt, like, his wife dies, yeah. and then he finds out she's been cheating on him for years. His entire yeah. life. His entire life is, yeah. D- downsizing is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, truly the worst yeah. thing I've ever seen a movie and character do. And to Asians. And it's um, oh, no, that's terrible, for sure. But what yeah. Kristen Wiig does to... to uh, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Was, yeah. It's the worst thing I've ever seen yeah, a movie that's character crazy. do to another mm-hmm. movie character. The one movie that's a bit of an outlier here, and obviously... For our listeners, this isn't going to be an episode on Alexander Payne, but The Descendants is a bit of an outlier. I, I, she I cheats on him. She does. She does, she, and then she, she and then she, and then she, she dies. dies. So she, gets this is the she gets in the coma. The movie. The movie You're absolutely right. Should, You're right. The movie should have been about yeah. the 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 father who said he was the backup parent, which I thought was really kind of which poignant. Yeah. yeah. And then we find out she's been cheating on him with fucking Matt Lillard. Yeah. For like years. Years. And years. By the way, Matt Lillard also had an amazing run in the late nineties. Oh, he best. did. Yes. The best. Scream. He's Scream so man. good in Scream. He's Even the Scooby Doo yeah. things. I, I agree. He was a good Shaggy. He was singular. So okay, sorry. So Woody let's Allen. Woody Allen. I'm so afraid to talk so, about this guy. Well, but we, and, and I do think there are parallels you between Alexander. No, 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 oh, and that's what's great about it. Put it out raw. It's just it, put it out raw, and we just we just go. Unless we insult anyone, we want to work with one day. Yeah, then we do make edits. Guess what? I'm not working with Alexander Payne anytime soon. But I do no, think there are some similarities. To get the rights to elections. <laughs> Amazing. I will say this. Alexander Payne and Woody Allen do have some similarities, but uh, as we've just uh, discussed. But I guess I just sort of want to... both overly educated. Alexander Payne. Alexander Payne went to Harvard. Did he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm sure he would tell us if he would had the you. opportunity. I mean, any Harvard graduate. <laughs> I, so I guess my question is this. You know, Woody Allen made, has made... I mean, sorry, I'm going to just look up how many films he's made. But uh, he has made... Oh, he has 80 writing credits. 80 writing credits. 55 directors. 55 directors. Right? Yeah. yeah. So let's say he's got 50 movies, probably, mm-hmm. give I mean, or take. And don't forget a playwright, too. And a playwright. Mm-hmm. So, you know, his his 
his career starts as a pretty broadly comedic guy, and he always sort of wanted to be doing more dramatic things, and he eventually gets to that in sort of his Igmar Bergman phase in the 80s, sort of. Um, after he's done boxing a kangaroo. After he's done boxing a kangaroo. <laughs> Indeed. I, 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 do, I do want to say this. I can't believe, I mean, I can. I, it's, 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 how do I put this without sounding, how, without sounding like a jerk? It's unfortunate. <laughs> That this man's career can't be enjoyed because he boxed a kangaroo once. <laughs> he did only- box a kangaroo once. He just, it's, it's, but I, I, I do want to say this, and I'm not. I'm. I, I just to be very, very clear. I'm not apologizing or or suggesting that anything that Woody Allen might or might not have done is okay. So I want to just put that to rest. But I do want to say that this is the example for me of can you separate the art from the artist? And we could talk for hours about whether or not that's possible or not in the world that we live in, but he's, it seems as though he's done some heinous things. He's also written some problematic movies on top of potentially doing heinous things in his real life. But I also have to say he was so formative to me as a writer and as, as someone who wanted to work in movies. I mean, Annie Hall is one of the first movies I re- really remember watching. My, my father showed it to me. I think I was probably a teenager at the time and, and didn't get a lot of the jokes, but the jokes I did get really, really landed. Like the cocaine sneeze. I didn't get that oh. as a kid. I was like, I don't understand. I also certainly did not get all of the oral sex jokes and Ooh. a lot of those jokes did not go over or went over my head. You got when they were messing around with the lobsters, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah lobster, yeah. lobster bit worked like a charm. <laughs> totally got it. <laughs> like a slot machine, as Griffin would say. But I, I just think that. He just, he's, unfortunately or fortunately, depending how you look at it, he's in the DNA of my writing. Sure. And it's hard for me to extract that and say, okay, this man's a monster and now I can no longer enjoy his films. That's really hard for me. So when I sat down to watch Sweet and Lowdown, which I had not watched, truthfully, in probably close to 20 years, I didn't really know what I was about to go into. There's the Sean Penn of it all as well, and we'll talk about him too, but... For good or for bad, I was able to watch this movie relatively clear-headedly because, thankfully, Woody's not in it very much. Um, so I didn't really have to deal with that. But then I also just found myself really finding an affinity for this character, this troubled artist, this person that's really sort of struggling with his identity and and who he is as a person and why he does what he does. I mean, there was a lot of things that really jumped out at me as I was as I was watching it, but it really seems to be about sort of Someone being so talented at something that it cripples them. Sure. Like Woody Allen. Like Woody Allen. Like Woody Allen. Except that Woody Allen, I think, has um, become much more financially stable than Sean Penn's character in Speedlesons. <laughs> yes. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. But he probably felt like um, – I think Woody probably felt like he was on the verge of collapse every time he put a movie out. Seems that way if, in his interviews. Yeah. Uh, I want to make kind of a sister point to what you're making. Phil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I want to talk more about that point too, but – is a, this is something that we don't that we that we dance around a little bit, and I think it really um, speaks to basically everything that Woody's done. Can you like a problematic movie? I know. Um, for some movies like that we've done, like American Beauty, we were basically like, no, this movie's just too problematic. Like we right. can't we can't even engage with this. And then for like Cruel Intentions, at least I was like, I can look past the problematic shit and enjoy it the way I've always enjoyed it. And kind of write it off as as uh, a relic of its era. 
we also had an opportunity to unpack it with the filmmaker as well and to be able to sort of get inside his head at the time and where he is now and and do you know what I mean? Like, I think that that helped me reconcile a lot of the uh, stuff that I was... Interesting. I mean, I'm, uh, please come on the podcast if you're listening, but to sit with Sam Mendes or Alan Ball and see what they sure. thought about yeah, yeah, yeah. how that movie was and is... Absolutely. Um, ...would be great, but... But I met with Curly Tensions. Yeah, and, but I would say also, um, I think this movie's kind of very problematic, and not just because of who made it, not just because of who stars in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think making the love interest mute... Uh, is is not has no. I don't think it's a charming decision. I think it's kind of. I think it's. I think it was looked at as a very charming idea in nineteen in ninety nine. And right now, I think it's like really creepy. Well, it's also in this day and age when we're talking about casting and diversity, casting a woman who can speak and mm-hmm. a part who can't, and not letting a an actress who does not have the ability to speak to play that part, mm-hmm. and eventually having her get an. Oscar nomination for it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here and say I agree with everything you guys are saying. That that a lot of people did take issue with it at the time. A lot of people did feel there were many reviews that talked about how it was problematic that he made this character mute. A lot of people talked about they you literally they, took away her voice. Took exactly. away her voice. Exactly. There's a lot of yeah. sure. All of that, I, I hear that 100%. I will say, though, I do think Samantha Morton puts in a, a, a really beautiful performance in this film. And I think that she would have been a great silent movie actress. I think that she is able to wear so much on her face and in her performance. I think it's a really beautiful performance. Now, whether or not, I agree, it should have obviously, whether or not it should have existed, quite frankly, is obviously up for debate. But it does exist. And with that stuff, you know, in a vacuum, I think she does a very good job with the role. She does. Um, she does. She, she, you can tell how much thought she put into every decision she made. Mm-hmm. How rarely, I mean, how I feel like almost any other actor would actually nod or shake her head and she never does anything like that. But that also speaks to her reading the term halfwit in there. No, and- I, I, the way she's described by. By oh, the character is ridiculous. She's described that by her best friend. Yeah, Gracie yeah. describes her yeah. like that. Yeah. So and, and Emmett obviously doesn't think very highly of her. Well, Emmett well, doesn't think high of anyone. He doesn't even think high of himself. So yeah. he, I'm not taking his word for it. I'm taking her best friend's word right, for it. Who, that like she the is, first time we meet her, our first introduction to her is this friend. She's who, a halfway. Who says she's a halfway? So I think, and just Sam like Morton, flippantly. Yeah. So yeah. I think Sam Morton took that as a character description, mm-hmm. and I think she plays her as. Uh, mentally disabled to some degree. And I think that, coupled with the fact that she's mute... Um, Do we not think that to a certain degree that is a reflection of the time period that this movie takes place in as well? I mean, I think that most... Part, you just like at the, t- the the way that the characters speak of her mental disability or or however you want to describe it seems emblematic of the period right. that the movie takes place in. It would be an anachronism to-, to use a more politically correct. Oh, I don't. Exactly. I, I, I'm not taking issue with the term okay. at all. That, I, I was I, just. I'm not taking issue with the term. I'm saying that that the, a character that we that we should believe described her in such a way. Yeah. And Samantha Morton played her that way. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And I think she did a really good job yeah. of doing that. Yeah. I take issue with the fact that Woody Allen decides to give this character a love interest. I'm talking about Sean Penn gives this character a love interest, and that's who it is, and that's his idealized woman in this movie. Mm-hmm. That's very unsettling to me. 100%. And, he, and he is just an emotional abuse to her. The Constantly. entire, I mean, 
the scene of the dock at the end. Oh, it's all. I mean, the fact that they don't even show her react. Like she sent, she writes something down and hands it to him, yeah. and it's all on happily. Him. It, it, yeah, yeah, boy. It girl, all taken. He's yeah. like, I can't even handle. You know, like I can never read your writing. Like he can't even put it's a monster. it. Yeah, and then there's also things like. There's a thing where they go to Hollywood and Hadi starts becoming like a famous, relatively famous actress. And there's the, you know, the, they have the voiceover. I think it's actually Woody Allen doing the voiceover where he is talking about how there's this lady man who wants to kiss all the women open mouth. Like, maybe you shouldn't have put that in there. Like, that's maybe like. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't put an actual like, I don't know if. They would have called it sexual assault in the '90s, and certainly not in the time in this in the era. Time when this yeah, came out, yeah. Yeah. But like to actually say she was groped on set, you know, and assaulted on set, and she was so in love with the idea of that, she was so she was so turned on that she walked into and, and broke set like broke yeah. setting. They put her, yeah. they put her into a small coma. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I don't. I, That's what handsome men can do. Right. I don't think that scene works for a myriad of reasons. One of which it's obviously offensive, but also broad and stupid and mm-hmm. kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in the movie to begin with, which is not a particularly broad comedy. Right. So there's a part of me that's like, it felt like the movie needs a laugh here, so I'm going to put this in here, and it's it just a There are a few broad scenes in it. One works really well. Which one? The moon. Oh, the moon's the best. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, it, <laughs> when you let him be an idiot, when like you let him like trip over his own feet when in his intent, and, Emmett. In his, Emmett, yeah. in his intent at greatness... It is very funny. And the other scene that kind of speaks to mm-hmm. that, that works really well, is when they say Django's in the front row. And he passes out, and he has a complete... Like, no, or no, no, he, no, no, when he, he passes out of the car, when he sees him in the car. And he falls through the ceiling? And he falls through the ceiling. He gets escape. all the money. Yeah. yeah. It's like, in general, Deus Ex Machina, but yeah. in this movie, kind of funny. I can kind of handle it. And especially because it's counterfeit mm-hmm. money. But... Um, <laughs> bless you. But, Thank you. you <laughs> Sorry. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. But, um, yeah, so, all right. We have like I feel like we have a lot of topics. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, yeah, we've got I'm, a lot going on here. Before we do yeah. all, before we do all of this, let's let me just do a synopsis. Just one, just one, yeah. one word from our sponsor. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so I'm going to just read a brief synopsis. Uh, Emmett Ray, played by Sean Penn, isn't an easy guy to be around. Among other things, he's inconsiderate and egomaniacal. He also happens to be a jazz guitarist with undeniable talent. And despite his many faults, he ends up winning the heart of Hattie, played by Samantha Morton, a kind of, a kind young mute woman. Hattie's seemingly endless patience with Emmett is tested, however, with his incessant irresponsibility and infidelity leading their relationship to the breaking point. It's a very interesting uh, synopsis of this film. It's a mockumentary, uh, just to be clear. Mm, uh, it's a documentary so. format in terms of... No, it's not. It absolutely is. There are people that are interviewed within a documentary. I would argue mockumentary, too. Yeah. It's a documentary. I mean, the... Is Annie Hall a mockumentary? There, but these people are... There, there are people that are interviewed that as have... If this is new. As, as if, if like this is he, a documentary Emma about Emmett Ray. Char- yeah, Emmett Ray was a real character. They're, they're speaking of his career. That's... And- fair but it's not shot like a mockumentary the scenes with it's not I, shot like the office no correct no, yeah. the movie so the, sorry let me the rephrase movie has a framing device it has it has talking heads that punctuate stories those stories of emmett are filmed like a normal movie it is shot yes. almost like a like the ken burns jazz the talking head stuff yeah is, yes the rest of it is yes i understand where you're coming mm-hmm. it's, yeah. it's it's not shot like a documentary 
Correct. Uh, Sweet Loader opened on December 3rd, 1999. It would go on to make $4.1 million. Did not make a lot of money. Its budget is unknown, but Woody's budgets tend to be less than or around $20 to $30 million. This movie did not do well. This was also uh, a Sony Picture Classics release the same year, I believe, or within a year of Small Time Crooks. So, like, these literally, these, the, the DreamWorks deal. Yeah. Small um, Time Crooks came out, I think, like in like January, February, March, yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, Sweet Loden has 77% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 81% from audiences. Um, I'm going to read just a very brief uh, bit from Ebert's three and a half star review. Uh, Emmett Ray is the least Woody-like character I can remember at the center of an Alan film. He embodies Alan's love of jazz, but few of his other famous characteristics, save perhaps for attracting worshipful women. Much has been made in some psychobabble reviews of the fact that Hattie is mute, as if it represents Alan's ideal woman. Perhaps it's inevitable. Fuck you, Ebert. (laughs) <laughs> perhaps it's inevitable that the director whose films have been so autobiographical would attract speculation like that but alan's real life partners from louise lasser through diane keaton and mia farrow to the to uh suyin previn seen in the 1998 documentary wild man blues have all been assertive and verbal i think hattie is seen as emmett's ideal woman not woody's and it's interesting that alan who has gradually stopped casting himself as a lead in his films now seems happy to make the leads into characters other than versions of himself oh that lasted so long. yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that review at all. I think it's adorable that he tried to <laughs> to put the Sunni Previn thing on it. This woman has never given a public statement in the inner fucking life. It's true, and because one documentary made about his jazz quartet or whatever he yeah. his clarinet playing, she was she, she was assertive. I agree. I agree. Like I know, like Chris Rock goes to dinner with Woody Allen and like says like no, no, no Sunni, she she's got a lot to say. It's like. Prove it. I, I, well, what is I, mean, it? I don't. I don't. I. I. I don't agree with Woody Allen's. Re- with sorry, with Rod Draper's well, review I, here. I, but I think he's trying to. I think he's trying to fit a square peg into a round yes, hole. Yes. Yes. Which kind of bothers me yeah. because it. It because it um, negates all the people who are saying that that's Woody Allen's idealized woman. God, this guy probably like. Yeah. This guy probably like uh, assault sexually assaulted his daughter or, or his yeah. stepdaughter. Like this is guy is. Yes, it, like it probably is pretty close to his idealized woman. What I will say is that I, well, I don't necessarily know if Woody Allen's ideal woman is someone who doesn't talk back. I do think that there is something about Woody Allen writing characters, female characters who learn from who men teach. Annie Hall is someone he educated. Oh, very much so. Very much. So. Mighty Aphrodite educated. Yeah. This is the type of thing where had he never would have had, you know, gone to Hollywood if it weren't for Emmett. Mm-hmm. And that I think is you can see it's that a mentorship quality. There's yeah, there's a and maybe not necessarily like even Manhattan has like a mentorship. Yeah. Definitely Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. And you can see that with his personal life. Mm-hmm. You can uh like mm-hmm. You can see, I mean, you can see that with his relationship with Mia Farrow. I mean, just his relate, his need to date younger women in general, or his desire to date younger women in general. You see that that happens a lot in Hollywood. Yes, it does a lot, and it actually <clears throat> kind of starts to happen both ways. Like, um, there are there are some situations where you know older, more established women are with younger men. Sure, um, which probably is a sign of gender parity in some small weird way. But well, ironically, uh, Robin Wright was with Ben Foster after Sean Penn. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So there you go. That's weird. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, mm-hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I, I think that 
I mean, listen, we could do just a podcast about Woody Allen and talk about and do 50 episodes on Woody Allen. So we're not going to be able to cover all that of this. But be a very popular podcast. You don't know that. Well, we might have our next <laughs> podcast. That would be you sick guys have to finish up with movies from 99 at some yeah. point. Yeah. That yeah. would be sick if we did a Woody Allen podcast. And every, every episode we talk about how he's playing himself. <laughs> It would get pretty repetitive pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I do think is interesting is, so he does take the money and run in 69, mm-hmm. and he signs a contract with United Artists, and he's excited to, to do his next film, and he, they tell him to write whatever he wants to write, and he basically writes this movie for all intents and purposes, or at least a version of this film. And they tell him not to do that. They He should do a comedy. He should do something funny. Are you afraid to say the title of that movie? The movie that he does after this? No, the, the movie that, the title of the movie? Which movie? The, this movie, Sweden Lowdown. No, the first, the the what what he the, the the name of the title. Oh, the Jazz Baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not great, Woody. Jazz yeah, baby. Sweden Lowdown, much better title. Yeah, Jazz um, Baby. My options are. <laughs> so he does. He does bananas instead, and he goes on a run. Which, by the obviously. way, great move. Yes. Although I don't love bananas, no, but, but it's a much obviously it was much smarter just jazz yeah. baby. <laughs> but uh, so he then in '98 he returns to this project. Mm-hmm. He changes the title, calls it Sweden Lowdown. Uh, he Alan had originally planned to play the role himself, but then he felt he had aged out of it. Surprisingly, uh, he then cast Sean Penn, although he also considered Johnny Depp. Wow! God damn it! It's just like from one problematic guy to another. I would prefer Johnny Depp. Just strictly from it, it actually, I, I strictly from an acting point of view. Yeah, can Johnny Depp play a guitar? Because Sean Penn, that wasn't him playing no, no, no. guitar. Yeah, he was. He learned some of the fingering. He learned some of the but, basics, but that's, that. that's yeah. it. I will say though, and I, I, mean, I mean, also like it's a lot to ask someone to be like the greatest jazz musician of all time and be the actor. Like, you, there aren't that ma- Sean. There aren't that many leading men in Hollywood who could do that. I, I agree, and I, I also this feels like a a, a natural segue into Sean Penn. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to say something probably unpopular. I think Sean Penn's really good in this movie. I, I think that he's he doesn't generally do comedy. No. And when he does, he's generally not that funny. And in this movie, I found him I found him funny in this film. I thought he your point, you know, the physical comedy of the of the moon. Mm-hmm. I think that his I I don't know why, but the shooting the rats thing at the trains it's always so made weird. me laugh. It's so <laughs> weird, but it makes me laugh. I, I he it's a very strange character and i think that's why it kind of works also like do you think he was do you think he knew it was a comedy do you think he was playing it as a drama i think he knew it was a comedy okay but i think he was playing it pretty straight i think that i, I think i, I think both i think that may be right. why it works because he's playing it so he's, he's a deplorable person saying horrible things and there's something about his tone that somehow makes it i don't know funny it right. shouldn't but it does for you for, oh, for me. My so, feeling. Oh, excuse me, Woody. Go for it. No, my, what were your feelings? My feelings. Yeah, please. Let me, let me get my feelings. <laughs> uh, my feelings about uh, Sean Penn and Woody is so much of this movie relies on finding both of these men charming. Mm-hmm. And I find neither of them charming anymore. Um, so, I honestly don't know if I ever found Sean Penn charming now that I think about it. Uh, Fast Times? I mean, no. <laughs> I don't. I'm I'm looking at Sean Penn's career right now, which is varied to say the least. Oh yeah, some of his best performances did not. Most of his best performances did not require you to find him charming. No, 
I am no. Sam mystical. is insulting. That's a no. yeah. uh, Mystic Dead River. Man Walking. He's very good in Dead Man He's Walking. He's great in Dead Man Walking. I would Mystic River again, not charming. charming. No, Milk. no, Dead thought, Man Walking is not yeah. charming. Yeah, I thought Milky was tremendous. Milky was good. He's very yeah. good at that. I, I like U-turn. I know I'm I'm alone in that, but I kind of like U-turn. The game. He's not in it much, but he's, he's good. Incredible in the game. Yeah. Yeah, it's he's he's just a very very strange actor, and he's coming on. So in '99, he has two films, and one of which is shouldn't really be counted, but his cameo in being John Malkovich, where mm-hmm. he talks about how puppetry is the only true art. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, which, which again, like at least he can take the piss out of himself a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, clearly he can't really. I mean, even in his Oscar acceptance speeches, he's like, "I know I'm a hard guy to love." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, he's just, he's a very, he's strange. Like even his directing, the movies that he's directed are strange. I think he's just a little unhinged. His attempts to be a journalist, his attempts to be a freedom fighter. I mean, like, it's just, he's a very odd dude. And this is a very, and Emmett, quite frankly, kind of fits him well because of how strange Emmett is as a person. Like Emmett is a dysfunctional, broken human. Obviously, he treats everybody, including himself, as you said, terribly. So it kind of makes sense that Sean Penn would play this role. Yeah. Sean Penn doesn't have the, in my opinion, Sean yeah. Penn doesn't have the Woody thing. Sure. And the Woody thing in this particular instance is, I think Woody at this point in his career knew he was one of the best filmmakers in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think he always was like, but I'm no Bergman. Oh I'm yeah. never going to be Bergman. Mm-hmm. And it kills me that I'm not going to be Bergman. And they'll never look at me like they look at Bergman, even though I made interiors and husbands and wives. Right. And, uh, you know, there's just there's nothing I can do to be taken as seriously as my no, hero. I'm still gonna be the nebbish. Yeah, yeah, like so, that's my thing. And I think, nebbish dating movies. And I yeah. think uh, I think Emmett is a bit of a nebbish. Mm-hmm. And I think he looks at Jay. Some planes flying over, guys. It's all good. It's all right. Uh, I didn't notice. And I think uh, <laughs> this, that's what happens yeah. when you. It's actually Woody Allen selling missiles yeah. right yeah. there. <laughs> but I, I guess I want to to that point because I think this is a great point. And I, I guess, I mean, this is rhetorical to a certain degree, but do we think that Woody Allen thinks he's a great filmmaker? Yes. I mean, oh, yes. Do you, you, you think so? I think Woody, Woody Allen, I think, thinks that he is smarter than everyone else. And people, that I agree with. Yeah. And because of that, he, um, I mean, for years, decades, he had this scandal yeah. and two scandals, the Sunni scandal and the other one. And then he, walked on by like nothing happened and everything was fine up until Ronan Farrow sent that tweet for the Golden Globes and then all of a sudden we care again. That, so yes, he did. Yes. He thinks that, I mean, he, he thinks he can get away with anything. That's for sure. Got out of jail free. Yeah. He also has won more writing Oscars than anyone, been nominated for more writing Oscars than anyone. He's won a best directing Oscar. Like it's, it's the stats are there. Right. Yeah. Um, I was going to make a counter prediction to your prediction earlier. I'm going to make it now. Bring it. Roman Polanski won a fucking Best Director Oscar after raping a child. Right. Accurate. I think Woody Allen. Beat Martin Scorsese. Uh, Gangs of New York? Yeah. 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 Um, it was in Chicago, right? Yeah. And Rob Marshall. Yeah. He was like the fifth on a, on a list of five. But um, – which is crazy. It was, as, it was as if the Academy wanted to make a point that yeah. like we oh, still sure. love rapists. Well, but, it's also like... Well, it was a Holocaust but, movie. It was a Holocaust movie, not too. To, so to that's... Yeah, like, point, but that's but, part of it, too. Yeah, that's the also totally part of to, it. To, and also, given Roman Polanski's own connection to the Holocaust. Yeah. yeah. No, I Roman Polanski's very 
complicated. Yes. But he but he's also a rapist who fled the country. Mm-hmm. So uh who drugged a child and fled the country. Yes. So uh, uh, oh, yes, all yeah. true. All true. After his wife was murdered by the Manson family. So right. like I get it. Like, wife, what a yes. crazy life. Yeah. I mean the men the men survived the Holocaust, his family were all murdered, then his wife, pregnant wife, is murdered by Charles Manson. The guy's a complicated dude. Complicated not dude. by Charles Manson, by his followers. By the followers. Oh, okay. Because yeah. the they were looking yeah. for oh, really? Yeah, they yeah. were looking for someone else that night. Oh. Yeah. Uh. You'll, well, there's like five movies yeah, about it coming out I know, this year. You can, so watch watch all. You, you can watch Matt Smith tell you exactly what you need to know. Oh, boy. Can't wait. So the – where were we? <laughs> um, the, the, your, your prediction. That My prediction is Hollywood let fucking Roman Polanski back in. Yeah. At some point, Hollywood – Dude, they let, I mean, they let, they gave Elliot, they gave Elliot Kazan, Elliot Kazan the, um, mm-hmm. honorary Oscar. They're gonna let him back. He's Woody he's, Allen. I think he's, he's real old, man. I don't know he's gonna be around that much longer. He will, he will, he will get a standing ovation at a publicly tele, a televised public event before he dies. Unfortunately, he probably will. That's, that sounds fair. I mean, listen, look at what we're seeing right now with Mel Gibson. I mean, it seems like everybody gets Oh my gosh, pass. freaking, exactly. like Shia LaBeouf, no, Vol. Yeah, that was like, that's perfect casting that these two guys are working yeah. together. <laughs> but it's also like, Shia, man, you're our people, yeah. dude. Yeah, like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. like, don't do it, Shia. Not, not, to, not to just shit on mm-hmm. Eminem, but... Yeah. Um, who I think has come a very long way, but it was like, well, no, John played with Eminem. It's like, dude, are you not listening to the words? Like, no. you can't just- not listening to the words. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so I, I think that um, we're, we're, there are so many other there's so many other movie that we have Holy not got to shit. Shit this. Okay, so let's talk. We'll, I'm going to we'll, talk about. We'll, we'll go for hours. Okay, we can <laughs> really go for I hours. Sleep it's right fine. up there. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so in October, on October 26, 2009, on an appearance on Howard Stern's radio program, Rosie O'Donnell claimed that Woody Allen had offered her the role of Hattie. Not buying it. Uh, and that despite the fact that she had been, I don't know, she basically said no for his various, you know, mm-hmm. issues and what have you. But she's also uh, an assault survivor. Yeah. When Stern asked if she was at all tempered, tempted to take the role, uh, despite her personal feelings, she replied, not for one minute tempted. Okay. Uh, I don't, I mean, listen, it is what it is. Uh, Sweet and Lona was nominated for Academy Awards for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Actress in a Supporting Role. Um, it is interesting that she was nominated for an Academy Award without uttering one word. Um, I, I think, I honestly think that was like the last time that happened. I don't even know when it was. Uh, but it's, it, it is, it is a impressive performance, which we've, which the, we have The last about. time it happened before that? was yeah and i don't know when it was because there's been a best actor since that who didn't utter a single word well who was it jean oh of course of du- course du- uh, Desjardin. Desjardin for uh the artist. For the artist he says one line at the end he does say a line at the end. what is the line uh it's something it's just it's i don't like, remember it's just, it's just a pr- he says like okay or <laughs> that's something. that's a tell it's to punctuate the it's just a fa- it's just yeah. to punctuate the fact that he has an accent and that was the whole thing they couldn't he didn't feel like he could that get movie that. doesn't exist as far as i'm concerned that, like no one talks but about also like shape of the water which shape of water is another one yeah yeah she it? wasn't i don't think she, she was mute she, she, was, oh, she was mute yeah. that's true yeah good point and, uh, and, and and that was 19 years later, and they cast a, a mm-hmm, sure. person who could speak. So I watched a film after watching Sweet and Lowdown, coincidentally. So unlike you. <laughs> so unlike me. Coincidentally, and I do see a lot of parallels between Inside Lewin Davis and this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. There's, it, it's, 
and I adore no Inside Llewellyn. In there are very few cats in this film. There's rats <laughs> instead. There's a lot of rats, less cats. Uh, Lewin Davis has a very similar vibe of a guy, of an artist at the center of it, yeah. a guitarist on top of all of it, um, who's trapped in a loop. Yeah, this genius, struggling genius. There, there's, yeah. there's the same vibe with Sweet and Lowdown of a guy that cannot break the pattern. Like mm-hmm. he's just stuck in some sort of a vortex, um, which I think is also very, it's also very sort of, there's an inside baseball quality to both of these films as well in terms of the music business and how those are sort of applied. Um, they didn't find it alienating, but I'm also, sl- I mean, we work in a business that kisses up against it. So I don't know if I didn't, if I knew less about it, but I didn't find it to be particularly alienating. Mm-hmm. Um, he was, uh, Woody Allen was interviewed uh, in IndieWire around the time of Sweet and Lowdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they asked him, is there one of your movies you'd like to take another stab at, maybe redirect? Great question. He said, yes. You know, I've made one, I made one of my films twice and I regret that I couldn't make it a third time. Uh, it was September. I shot it twice. I would love to make them all another time. Oh, all of them over again. September, he shot again with a completely different cast, but he didn't release the first movie. No. No. Yeah. Uh, I could improve every one of them by making them again. That's why the reshoots are so much better and so helpful to the films. Once you see the film and then you go out and do it again, Charlie Chaplin used to do it all the time. He would shoot the film, look at the whole film, and then reshoot it, but you can't do that now for obvious reasons. I think it's interesting that. Because I'm sure all of us, we all work, we're all writers here. Sure. And we I mean, all... I would love to edit things I said in this interview in half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> but there's something, I, I just, I think it's very interesting that he, I mean, Charlie Chaplin, they could do it back then. These films were much, much less expensive and, sure, and much yeah, easier to and, do. Yeah. There but were less people making them, yeah. It's just interesting because Woody Allen, who is a, who's notorious for don't change the words, don't touch the words, just say what's on the page, as opposed to filmmakers who are a lot more, let's say, fluid with uh, your Richard Linklater's, your Wonka Wise, your whoever's, where it's, I mean, even when we talked about Julian Donkey Boy, where it's like 20 pages, but you know what I mean? Like where it's, we're going to find the movie together and it's going to be this beautiful artistic experiment. So it feels a little antithetical for Woody to say, actually, I'd love to do it all over again. Because it's like, you got it the fucking first time. I think it's another dialectic. I think at one point, I mean, at the same time, Woody can consider himself one of the greatest filmmakers in the world and also look at every single one of his films as flawed and needing a page run rewrite. Um, I understand that. I mean, I, I, I think, I think artists understand that in general, sure. you know, which I think, which I do think is interesting. Um, so I guess, should we talk about Uma Thurman? I mean, is there something? I actually think she was really funny in the, like, she knows what she's, she's she knows what she's doing. Um, and she knows, the, she knows exactly what that character needs to make it work. And I mean, they play off of each, maybe because they may, I don't know what their relationship was like off screen, but they have like a personality that might work together very well for something like this. Uh-huh. And um, she looks the period. Oh no, she 100% looks the period because she looks like jazz age. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Seriously. And it's, it, they also, <laughs> This isn't fair because it's just the way Uma Thurman looks, but she they've cast someone who looks very different from Hattie, who was they made to be dowdy and they made a big thing about how she, you know, she eats all the time. And then you cast the statuesque model to play like the woman he actually does marry. And rich model to play. Yeah. 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 It's I, I will say that so as I mentioned earlier, I, I'm I really love Bullets Over Broadway. I, it's one of my favorite films. He obviously loves this period. He loves yeah, the 30s. Sure. He goes there in his films relatively frequently. It makes perfect sense because the thing he loves 
most in the world was jazz. And that's the, the jazz, jazz age. age. Yeah. yeah. So. I mean, Midnight in Paris has the same thing where they, Very true. yeah, they go back and the, be- the beautiful era of Paris. I think also the last film of his I saw in the theater was, um, what was the one with uh, Kristen Stewart and uh, Steve Carell? What was oh, that? Gosh. What is that, that, I, was that, is that Rome I Love or um, To Rome with, with Love? No, no, I think it Magic was. in the Moonlight? Cafe Society? Cafe Society. Yeah, Cafe Society, that's, yeah. That's, the, Which, I believe, his last. That'll be his oh, last. No, Wonder, Wonder Wheel sort of got yeah, released. Wonder yeah. Wheel. I have a screener for it. I do too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's interesting. He does really love that period. But I will say that I prefer the way I, I the the mobster thing gets tiresome. Oh yeah, I really liked it in Bullets Over Broadway. It works in that film. In this film, the Anthony LaPaglia character yeah, yeah. just felt very sort of tacked on and didn't really bring much to it. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why he was there other than to pull. They needed Uma to get away. her out of it. Yeah. yeah. So it just sort of was a bit of a shrug. So I my take on the Uma character. Yeah. Um, I think it was a. F- I think it was the best screenwriting move of the movie. It's the only thing that engendered any sympathy for this character was kind of learning that she was writing about him behind his back. Right. Like that betrayal that she was kind of just like almost marrying him as a. Because otherwise he's just going to go hopping along and like abusing women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not physically abusing, but like emotionally taking, taking for granted people. Yeah. And they, they brought a higher status character than him on to Mm -hmm. kind of make fun of him. Yeah. To kind of, you know, she, the first thing she says is a, something to the effect of, like, you really are a bore. Like, you really are boorish. I mean, something like that. Yeah. Um, and I did have sympathy for him at this point in the movie. And I had sympathy, you know, kind of for Hattie at that point, too. And um, it really de- – it, it momentarily made me feel like those two actually might need each other. Now, they were really – Woody was really uneven with the Uma character because she made a real left turn. All of a sudden, she actually loves him and is actually trying to, like, save his yeah. career. And then she makes another real left Randomly turn. And starts sleeping with people. Yeah, Randomly she finds more exciting and – yeah. So, like, if that – the beginning of her like run – scene at the – at the nightclub when she's going to talk to Emmett's boss about getting him back, getting the gig back and yeah. suddenly decides, Oh no, I'm going to, you know, this hitman, you're fascinating. I'm going to leave my jazz musician husband for you. Like what? Yeah. Uh, he no. does. You whiplash. There's a yeah. little bit of, he, he cheats a little bit. Woody cheats in terms of, he uses the, the documentary talking head stuff to do time jump stuff. Right. So he's kind of jumping into Emmett's story at different points, which gives him the flexibility, if you will, mm-hmm. to be able to have these characters make these big swings that we don't actually, that we're not seeing, mm-hmm. which I'm not making excuses for it, but it's part of why I think we're seeing these gaps in specifically with well, this character. is why it feels like it's a, like a PBS documentary yeah. where it's just like, you have to fill in the gaps. You don't know what's fact. And the fact that he cast real historians, Yes, to, he did. To be mm-hmm. these talking yeah. heads and himself. Yeah. And John Waters. And, John, and Douglas McGrath. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a strange. It's a strange <laughs> group of people. There is there is something to the... It, it also puts a uh, what is truth spin on it. Right, which is what true for any documentary, yeah. which is, I think, also what he's trying to say. Like, when they suddenly skip ahead and say that suddenly Hattie, like, Hattie's out of the narrative and it's just like, at this time he was married to this. Yeah. Like... It's like, oh, okay, well, now the, the, we don't have that piece of information from the, because for this documentary. We're going to have right. to just ex- use our best judgment to understand it's what It's like we're, we're, we're really only seeing – I mean, the movie's 98 minutes or something. It's right, it's not even that short. long of a movie. Yeah, and it, We're just seeing fragments of Emmett's life, really. And Emmett's the only character who has any sort of an arc mm-hmm. 
Right. If we're being honest. And I think that, I think it does the film a service and disservice the way that it is actually structured. There, there's another Woody movie that, that kind of employs a similar thing. It's mm-hmm. Broadway Danny Rose. Yes, yes, yes. Guys Great sitting around Carnegie Deli and basically just telling stories about <laughs> Broadway Danny Rose. Right. And, you know, it, 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 it conforms to a narrative yeah. to yeah. some extent. The mythos, the idea of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just kind of whatever these guys remember in the moment is what yeah. gets in the movie. I think Woody likes that structure. That fa- I, this fascination with these people. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. Purple Rose of Cairo does that too. Kind of like this fascination with the idea of what these, what these people are like, what these characters are like. Zelig does the same yeah. thing. Zelig is, sure. yeah, yeah. is, I yeah. mean, there's a lot of that sort of, it's the deconstruction of narrative, the idea of like who a person is and are, you know, what is real, what is not real, well, what's yeah. in our heads and what are we building up to be something larger than life, which I think in its own way does sort of speak to Woody's whole right. thing in, in and of itself. I mean, it, it, he's – we've heard all the stories about his audition process and people getting manila envelopes of their scenes, you know, in the middle of the night. And right. I mean, he's right. just this, – there's this whole like building himself up to be – whether or not it's greatness or not, but it's certainly to be sort of Kubrickian in some way of like the, the, the mystery, the man behind the curtain and all that sort of stuff. For good or for bad, he, that's sort of something that he seems to be building. He's his own thing. He's right. just, he's like, it's, you know, putting everything else aside, there's like the Kubrick thing. Yeah. And there's like the Spielberg thing. And there are, you know, there's like the Bergman thing and there's like the go, the, the Godard thing. Like there's these guys who do, hey, and there are American filmmakers like that who, you know, younger ones. Wes Anderson has a very clear thing he does. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen's thing is put out a movie every, every year. single year or I'm an gonna, insane yeah. amount of time using the same actors because of that they all routinely using the same actors yeah. so that they all know his shtick. Mm-hmm. And just kind of, yeah, kind of yeah. building this, this giant pastiche of Woody. Mm hmm. And, and by the way, the fact that we call him Woody, yeah. even though we've never met him, um, <laughs> but like Mr. Allen. Mr. Allen, Mr. Allen, but like you say Spielberg, you don't say Steven. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, obviously there are other Stevens in the industry, but there you there is a familiarity with that he has made. Yeah, that he is this educated. He is someone that so many people admire or look up to or want emulate, and. And has this familiarity with him where he was like, you, you too are an, you know, a nebbish, overly educated liberal and yeah. possibly Jew. And you can, and you too can be, you are, I am no different than you. I have the same, but I am the same background that you, you are. And that makes him, yeah. there is something that make, I Being look at, uh, look at me, yeah. my, like my scrawny, big eyed glasses, balding look, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, and I'm the least sexually attractive. I'm the least sexually attractive you know. <laughs> I ever, and I banged Diane Keaton in her prime. And he really, he really did. Yeah, yeah, and like, look at my hot wife, who's much younger than I am, whom I met under nefarious circumstances. Just, I, yeah, I, I would. I mean, listen, we're never gonna know. Really, the the documentary that was made about him, I don't mm-hmm. know, like four or five years yeah. ago, oh, the PBS one, the PBS one, which I which was interesting. It was great. Um, but and I feel like it's the closest we've gotten to understanding him in any real way or at least his process i mean the mm-hmm. fact that he still uses a typewriter and staples and i'm just like my god well he still uses the but, same font for all of it like his, yeah, yeah all the, the black on white the black font, and white yeah i mean it's he, he's a creature of habit but i think part of it too you know you talk about how he makes a movie every year mm-hmm. part of it also feels like and he said this in interviews and whether there's truth to it or it's part of sorry about the planes uh part of the whole mythos of him but 
if he doesn't make a movie, he feels he's going to die. Yeah. He he's like, I have to keep working. I have sure, to keep working. He has to keep working. He can't retire. He's a, right. He is yeah, yeah. to to use one of the lines from Annie Hall. He is a shark, and if mm-hmm. he stops moving, he'll be a dead shark. Right. And I think that there's something to that for him, and it's why I feel like. This filmography, which, I mean, he's made, let's say, 50 movies. Half of them are good. You know, sure. 10 of them might even be great. And the rest of them are not good or, or varying degrees of bad. And it's just because he's just got to make one. It's like, oh, this one's in a drawer. I'll just film this one. It, it oh, To me, especially after the 90s, yeah. it felt like a miracle when he made a good movie. When Matchboy came out, it oh, felt boy. like a miracle. Yeah. And when Blue Jasmine came out and... Vicky and Christina... Mid- Vicky Christina, Midnight in Paris. Like these movies felt I like agree. miracles. Like you're doing one every year and like a Blue Jasmine, you made this transcendent movie? Yeah. Well, that's also, yeah. look how many actresses yeah. for whatever reason Lined he is shepherded. To, he is shepherded like Scarlett Johansson. He is shepherded into the light and helped make her career. Um, and, you know, Guyan Keaton, like all these actresses who, because of, who have become associated with him and therefore have this career that's like a very well-established respected career and there is something about that that i think he likes he likes this idea of being like the the woman whisperer. the woman whisperer yeah. but I, I, yeah. so i used to have a, this co- this co-worker who i would always see at screenings and he would always bring the young interns with him, mostly female interns with him now. And after the screenings, they would all crowd around him and listen to what he had to say. And he would, I don't, I I don't know. I don't think he was doing anything inappropriate with them. Uh, After hours, he was just taking them as his plus one to these screenings. Mm -hmm. And he loved being like, you you could tell he was just picturing himself like standing in the arc light lobby, imagining he was at a salon smoking a pipe with a tweed jacket with leather sleeves, letting these actresses fawn all over him to hear his thoughts on John Wick. And it's and you know, and how it was you know, and and I mean John Wick is great. John Wick's great, but like I mean, like the John Wick John Wick I know just any movie and yeah, like treating it like it was like cinematic royalty and then he was that, you know, that all these young 20-something co-eds would just fawn all over him. And whether he knew he was doing it and whether he had any ulterior motives out of it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that's there a, is... That's an ulterior motive. What you just described is an yeah. ulterior motive. But if, whether there was anything untoward happening besides... Or lines being crossed. Whether lines the, were the being... The pleasure he was getting from the adoration. From the adoration and yeah. the attention of having, you know, he was... Yeah, sixty-year-old man, and you know, mm-hmm. having these women there. Um, yeah, yeah, and I there is something about, and he, you know, and they would leave. Hopefully, <laughs> that was the extent of it, and they would leave their internship or whatever their entry-level job, and be like, "Well, I was, um, you know, I was cultured. I learned something. That yeah. I was, you know, I was taught something. I had a, you know, I think now about all my, you know, well, not all, but you know." The and when I was in college and like the my friends who would have crushes on professors and like the professors mm-hmm. would go out to beers with us afterwards and how whether that was inappropriate inappropriate but it also like you feel like you're like learning something like you have a mentorship someone who's guiding you through this and there is something to be said like the way that Woody this is very similar to Woody Allen's had like in the way he mentors young I'm sure he's done it with men too. 
I mean, um, it, it happens a lot. With, I don't with, remember. But it, I mean, I know like Corey Stoll had this big thing about being able to play Hemingway and how it meant so much to him and mm-hmm. like that Woody Allen had found him after all this time. But I don't know if he's really shepherded Corey Stoll. I think no. Corey Stoll's career has drawn just fine on its own. I but yeah. loved him as Hemingway. He was yeah. really Oh, he's great in it. Yeah. I do think there is something to male filmmakers – I mean, the the one that comes to mind is the David O. Russell, Jennifer Lawrence oh, thing. Sure. Yeah. You know, when you have these male filmmakers that clearly are in love with these actresses and build sort of roles for them. I mean, Cameron Crowe has the notoriously David done it. The David Mara thing, too, for yeah. Dragon Tattoo was super weird. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's interesting. I, I, I want to make I, – I want to talk about these two kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing you're talking about, Phil, yeah. I don't think is that big of a deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that it's that big of a deal to find a their wives might think differently, but yeah. Okay, but as long as there's in that case, as long as there's nothing untoward, yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal to find a muse. Yeah. Um, as long as you don't make, as long as you don't cross the line, the situation you were talking about, Whitney, I think is low grade sexual harassment. Sure. Um, I think that, agree with that I think that these interns or students are put in a position where they can't, where they don't have. The agency to say, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to go to this thing with you and sit and talk about how great you are. Or I don't want to sit with you at, at drinks and have to just sit there and, you know, like I'm, you know, learning for the master. So I think Woody. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think Woody kind of falls in between. I, I the the Scarlett Johansson relationship was a particularly odd one. It was a weird one because at that point the age difference was considerably larger. Although yeah. she was again, just to be clear, she was obvious in in all press. She was talking about how in love with Woody Allen she was. That this was very much a. I don't think that my. I guess my point here is I think that it was inappropriate to be sure, just the age just difference. But there definitely was a feeling like. She wanted to learn from Woody Allen. Sure. And to and your by point, the way, that's who not okay. Wouldn't? If yeah. like, I mean, yeah. you <sighs> It gets it gets into very into very sort of like tricky waters when you sort of talk about that idea of I mean, it's interesting because it makes me think about um I don't know if you guys are watching Fosse Verdon. Oh yeah, sure. The, um, yeah. But the Bob Fosse, the way that he the way he just not manip- just just will not let go manipulating these women and not taking no financial. It's crazy. I have yeah. to watch the show. It's really, really good. I'm nervous about watching it because I love Bob Fosse so much. I mean, did you see all that jazz? It's one of the gra- greatest yeah. movies ever made. And I don't want to hate him. I just like I, <laughs> no, I, I don't yeah. want this but bubble all, burst. But it's also just part of it. Also, is Gwen Verdon's story and how she how much we don't know about the well, Gwen Verdon story. She made him. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. She made him and he completely just shit all over that. She's like the Tesla yeah. to his end to yeah. his Edison. Okay. <laughs> sure. It, it's it's a very it I, I'm loving it. Oh no, I, I think it's, it's I think it's Michelle excellent. Williams is a Oh, fucking, she's unbelievable yeah. in it. And it's it's a tremendous Also depiction. Sam Rockwell, by the way, one of the most chameleon actors ever. They're like, both amazing. Yeah. It's it's I think what's interesting to me, or at least what I, one one of the myriad of things that I'm really loving about it is how it's a deconstruction of marriage, yeah. but also Art. It's a literal it's, deconstruction of marriage, by yeah. the way, for watching this. <laughs> yeah, sure. But you know, so just that- watch this alone. Yeah, probably, yeah, probably. Maybe not with your wife. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, your wife can be like, see? <laughs> <laughs> I have never met your wife. Please don't. No, but you, that's that's you got it. <laughs> but I, I, it's, Former podcast guest. Definitely yeah. say see. But, but I, I do think that all of this does funnel into Woody mm-hmm. and into all of the well, stuff Well, it's the same era, on. by the way. It's 1970s New York. Yeah. So, I mean, which is my favorite era. It's really, I mean, this is part of why when, when, when Woody is long gone and we're left with the 60 odd movies or however many Mm -hmm. movies that he's made when everything is said and done, you know, I I think that he will have a legacy. It will have an asterisk next to it because that's the unfortunate reality of the choices that he's made in his life. Um, but I, I think that he's, I do think that he's a fascinating artist and I do think that he's given us a host of really interesting characters. I would, I would argue that the female characters are far more varied and far more interesting than right. the male characters. But I do think that are, they're, they're unbelievable. I remember watching um, Diane Keaton did an interview many moons ago mm-hmm. about how she'd never seen Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. And Watch many it. years later, yeah. she watched and she was like, I don't know how I won an Oscar for this. Like, she was yeah. just like, I don't really get it. Yeah. But she's unbelievable. She's in great it. in it. Yeah. But it's, it's also, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, first of all, it's a star making performance. It's lightning in a bottle. There's some, a, a crackling energy to what she's bringing to that movie that's unbelievable. But there's also kind of a, a simplicity to it. And I imagine on some level, she was just like, that was just me wearing a tie saying, la di da, la di da. You know what I mean? Her, it's her clothes. Those, yeah. That's how she dressed. Annie, yeah, yeah. Annie was her family's nickname for her. Yeah. That's the best. Yeah, well, and you know what Hall is, right? No. Mm-hmm. Hall's a real last name. Oh. Is it really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. See, that, and the that, lobsters. I don't know. The- <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more about the lobsters. But I, well, it was originally titled. The Lobster Hall. <laughs> <laughs> A lobster story. Yeah, lo- lobster yeah the lobster. Story. It was, it was yeah. originally titled Crustaceans Anadonia. are us. Yeah. But I do think there... Right, I was, it was originally yeah. titled Anadonia. And you know what Anadonia is, right? Mm-hmm. The inability to experience pleasure. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, we... we I have. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I mean, the movie was originally Except like a murder mystery. mystery. I mean, right. Manhattan Murder Mystery is sort of kind of what Annie Hall was right. ultimately going to be. Do we like that movie? Ish. Young not- Zach Braff. I would say yeah, not, not no, I, it's not one of his best. But no, by the, also not Shepherd by Woody Allen. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. I mean, that was also a weird time because that came out. Did that come out just before Husbands and Wives? Yeah. Well, you know who Woody Allen is. Who's Woody Allen? <laughs> he's Bill Murray in the beginning of Ghostbusters when the girl's getting everything wrong and he's telling her she's getting everything right and the boy's getting everything right and he's shocking her. I didn't know there'd be electric shocks. <laughs> <laughs> That's who he is. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, we've talked a lot about Annie Hall and very little about Sweden. Right, well, yeah, well, let's do the plot. We can talk about the plot of, of Sweden. Well, what also but is it- interesting is the uh, the depiction. Well, there's the weird kleptomania that 
isn't it? Which I love too. I just love, but it's like, what? Well, okay. It's not a continuous thing. It's almost like he only does it just very random time. There's not really much of a plot to speak of, but I, I do want to sort of, only, I want to. It's 90 minutes. It's yeah. 90 minutes. I want to, I want to jump around a little bit because there are some points that there are some, some stuff that I do want to talk about. But ultimately, as we talked about pseudo documentary, uh, Basically, um, Emmett Ray was a jazz guitarist who achieved acclaim in the 1930s. A handful of recordings, RCA Victor, faded from public view under mysterious circumstances. Through a talent, though a talented musician, Ray's personal life is a shambles. He's a spendthrift, a womanizer, a pimp who believes that falling in love will ruin his musical career. Uh, due to heavy drinking, he's often later absent from his performances. Uh, and he's terrified of the one other jazz guitarist that is better than right. him, which is Django Reinhardt. Every time he's he hears of him, yeah. he faints or yeah. runs or is terrified of him, which I do think is kind of funny. And and, and the I, legend about his reactions to Django Reinhardt grow and, and just build. And and even build. That's actually kind of fun where the historians don't even know exactly how, yeah. like, how insane his love of Django was or his fear of Django is. Fear of Django. I do love the line that one of the hooker says, a pimp doesn't need business cards. Yeah, yeah, that's great. In the beginning, line. yeah. It is at the beginning. Um, this guy was a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like. He doesn't like that term. Though. Um, I do kind of love the weird faces that Sean Penn makes while performing. Yeah, there's something almost as though his body's rejecting it in some way. Yeah. It's just. It's just interesting. Um, it's also like the scene where he totally cons the small town people with the. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Like he swindles them all out of whatever, and you know, and his friends like maybe you should try not so good last time <laughs> next yeah, time. And yeah. his friends like I can't, I can't remember the notes. It's it's really, I mean, and then so then we have the. I, I would say yeah, I think Johnny course. Depp would have made that moment charming. I do. I here's what I'll say. I think Johnny Depp's version of this character would have been far more charming, far more lovable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and perhaps been, not as interesting. It would have been like uh, well, that might be true though. I think you're underselling it a little bit. I think. Totally different character, but um, fear and loathing. Yeah, the way he the way he kind of disappears. Which came out about a year or year or so before this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of you know. It's a kind of really kind of desperate, pressured character. Mm -hmm. We know a lot more about Hunter S. Thompson because he's a real guy, but um, he makes him like really relatable. Yeah, I agree with that. Charming. Yeah. Um, and I think that for someone who did a shit ton of drugs and like yeah, could barely hold it together, he's really like, yeah, I was like, yeah, dude, I totally want to hang out in the yeah. <laughs> car with you and see backcountry. Yeah. That yeah, sounds yeah. awesome. Totally. And I think Johnny Depp could have found that here. I think in that's a way that's that, interesting. That, yeah. I don't know. I mean, Sean, look, that, there's no question Sean Penn is an incredible actor. Yep. But, and in 99, people were on board. 2019, I'm just like, yeah. I have to tell you, like, okay, so yeah. I watched this movie. I re- I didn't watch this movie in the theater. I had recorded it on like with a VHS. Let's go way back with that nice. uh, on like a free HBO weekend when I was in college and watched it. Like I think it probably was like two thousand two thousand one when I you know when I watched it. And even then I was like, Ember Ray's not. I would like all the way through it. I was like, this dude's not cool. Like even <laughs> yeah, in no. I was twenty twenty one when I did that, and I was just like. He's a jerk. He's treating her horribly. So I don't know. I, I think that was the point. The whole thing. Like, is the, he, maybe that's also like the point about Sean Penn. Like, he's a genius artist who just has a horrible personal life. Woody Allen, genius artist, troubled personal life. 
Maybe that's the point that he's making about all, like, I mean. That's the point of deconstructing Harry. That's the point of deconstructing Harry. It's the point of Midnight in Paris, too. Yeah. Like, don't meet, never meet. a lot of Woody Allen. I mean, it was like, never meet your idols thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the Johnny Depp thing is interesting. You know, in an alternate universe, I'm interested in seeing that performance. I'm also interested. It makes me think about the the Grand Budapest Hotel of it all. You know, that, that. May, there's rumors that Wes Anderson wrote it with Johnny Depp in mind, and then Johnny Depp you didn't like do the it. Fines? The Ray Fiennes mm-hmm. role, yeah. and obviously, I think Ray Fiennes is out of oh. this world, unbelievable in that movie. Sure. And the fact that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar, I think, is a travesty. He's incredible in that film, and I don't think I want to see Johnny Depp's version of that I character. I never want to see Johnny Depp in a Wes Anderson movie. Wes Anderson is a star of every Wes Anderson movie, and I'm totally fucking cool with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're so stylized yeah. that you need a very specific. And Johnny's so stylized, it would just be, I think it would just yeah, be Yeah, and be, also, not bad. only that, you need, like, someone who actually, like, looks like the part. Like, you need, like, an yeah. Owen Wilson lanky, Jason yeah, Schwartzman totally. lanky. Yeah, yeah. finds like, tall yeah. and kind of lanky yeah. when you dress him, right? And, like, yeah. you, someone who is narrowly, like, literally narrowly fits that window of what the least highly stylized, like a dollhouse. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny Depp is... Not that. short, thin, nice-looking guy, but like short, and yeah, he and he doesn't weird. fit. He doesn't move into that world, at least in my mind. And maybe you know, Wes Anderson will cast him something, and I'll change my mind. But he like as easily as like a Schwartzman does. Or I mean, no, the Wilson brothers are a great example, mm-hmm. but the World Hunted about Ten and Bounce, probably one of my one of my ten favorite right. movies, and uh, Stiller's fine in it. Mm-hmm. It still sticks out to me. He does. Well, yeah. I he mean, doesn't feel love that world. Yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's not his fault. No. No. But like Danny yeah. Glover's of that world. Yeah. You know, Angelica Houston yeah. sticks out a little bit to me too, but you know, like. She's just, really good in it. She is really good. The scene, where he, the scene when he tells her that he's dying, but then he's like, oh, I'm not dying. And then oh. she, it's, like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, when Danny Glover talks about the stomach cancer. Yeah. yeah you yeah. don't eat, you don't eat five burgers and fries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. So at this point, Emmett asks if the girl wants to go shoot some rats. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> oh, back to the very beginning of the movie. Which, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of jumping around. It's not um, even he asks. He just... He's he, like, he, you want to go shoot rats? You want to go shoot rats? I'm going to go shoot some rats. This is my idea. Come on, let's go shoot some rats. Uh, and great. I saw that, and like I remember watching that, and I was just like, oh, is this what they did during the Depression? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, No. Maybe. Not a thing. Maybe. 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 Uh, we now get the right hand. I'm not. I'm not fucking kidding me. The right hand shooting rats could be charming. I think I. I. I literally wrote. I often think about this line slash idea. I don't know why. I don't know why it's stuck in my brain. But the idea of shooting rats is just I never held a gun. I have no interest in shooting rats. But I just think it's so bizarre. I just, I just love it. So now we get the crescent moon thing, which I think is just a beautiful image. It's I mean, sure. it was the poster. I mean, Emmett did too. Emmett did too. Uh, it's, it's great. It's just, it's, it's a very silly, broad thing, but it works. Like no. again, the dials on that in this movie don't always work, but I really liked it here. I loved him out back destroying the moon, like burning it and hitting <laughs> it with a baseball bat. I mean, I just, there, there's something so temperamental about mm-hmm. this guy. He's just dangling by a thread all the time. I for, Then he, Emmett wakes up in Pennsylvania. He misses a gig. He mm-hmm. gets in a fight with John Waters, who I forgot was in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, I, just bizarre, but sure. Uh, then on the double date with his buddy, he meets mm-hmm. Hattie. Um, on and, the boardwalk, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just, there's also, I mean, the look on Hattie's face when he makes her shoot the rat. 
<laughs> I'm sorry to keep and doing the shooting of the rats, heart, but I love it so, so much. She's so game for it. Yeah, and then when she kills it, he goes, yeah, and he like jumps up yeah. and he's like, she got it, and then he throws the dead rat in the back of the car. It's just great. Yeah, but like the fact that... Um, that because of the way that they describe Hattie, I know. that might have been the first time that someone was act- like a man was actually nice to her. That's what I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I so she goes back to his room. I think that's how she played it for sure. There, the and she starts like immediately taking right, off. Her she's clothes. not a virgin. Like no, th- this girl has like something has happened to her at some whether it was good or bad experience. She knows what to do. What she knows what men expect when she what goes they home. expect of her. And yeah. he's like, I thought you'd put up more of a fight. This is like yeah. shooting fish in a barrel. And by the way, it's- that also says a lot about him. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just very strange. Yeah. But the scene after where he tells her a little bit about himself mm-hmm. and he talks about how like his mother was in a mental institution sure. and you sort of hear about all these sort of the, the, the potential mental illness that's in his family. And, and at that time, I can only imagine how mental illness was treated or lack thereof. Um, and then he plays the guitar for Hattie and the look on her face where the camera just sits on Samantha Morton as mm-hmm. she hears this beautiful music is just, it's really powerful. I mean, for, for, I don't know. I, it, I thought it was a really beautiful, heartbreaking scene. It was. Yeah. I think, um, oh, I, I, uh, fuck. I had a good point, but I lost it. We'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, so she accompanies him on a cross country trip to Hollywood, uh, where he plays in a short film. How do you spot it by a director? We have our horrible. Oh, got my point. Yeah, bring it. The point was <laughs> Woody Allen and Alexander Payne. And Judd oh, Apatow and every and every one of these directors, David O. Russell, they seem to think that any man that that it's interesting to watch any man be redeemed, yeah. um, no matter how terrible they are. I agree with that because I think Sean per- M. Ray is p- pretty unredeemable in this movie. Mm-hmm. To Woody Allen's credit, he doesn't actually get redeemed. No, in this movie where like every we don't see it anyway. Right, it doesn't He's, happen. He is. He is memorized. He has a footnote in history big enough to have this quote documentary being made. Yeah, yeah. And so he has a legacy of some kind. But he always did over the course of this movie, right? right? He already did anyway. Yeah, of the movie, um, and he wasn't happy, and he was still like such a crumb bum. Every Alexander Payne movie, you know, I mean, Matt Damon wound up finding happiness, like with with Hong yeah, yeah, it's so like ridiculous. It's just yeah. they always want. Virginia Madsen comes back to Paul Giamatti. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So at this point, Hattie gives Emmett a birthday present, mm-hmm. makes him a card that says that clearly says "I love you," mm-hmm. and he freaks the fuck out. Yeah. Um. Which I, I that scene to me really illustrates the relationship perfectly, which is that she understands him better than he understands himself. Mm-hmm. He she refuses gets him the driving gloves that he like that yeah. he that she knew he wanted, right. and he won't let himself be loved or love anything right. for that matter. It's just this very sort of uh, dysfunctional relationship where she understands what he needs in life, and he refuses to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was the whole we talked about the prank that the guy plays on him, saying that Django's there. He falls through the ceiling, gets lots of cash. Uh, I love Hattie's hats. Mm-hmm. They're ridiculous, but I, I mean, find them enjoyable. Period. I mean, yeah, ugh. but they're just, I don't know. They're uh. just really great. Then we meet Uma. She comes in. We sort of talked about how she is in the film. Uh, I mean, I, I liked her fine. I didn't really love her pseudo intellectual voiceover writing particularly. It felt. That's also very Woody. I was just going to say, yeah. Woody can tip the scales sometimes where mm-hmm. characters no longer sound like people anymore and they just sound like therapy sessions um and she just doesn't in those voiceover things didn't really um 
but yeah. And then, yeah, so Blanche cheats on him with this mobster. Uh, Ray leaves her, relocates Hattie, or tries to locate Hattie, discovers she's happily married and raising a family. Um, I, I really do think, and I agree with the way that you were talking about how that scene is shot mm-hmm. and edited. Um, which is that it, it's way more on him than it is on her. So it's not, it's not a balanced scene, but it does feel like the tragedy of his character is the most amplified in that scene mm-hmm. of, of a person who's incapable of really loving another human being. And it's just, I don't know. There's something really, really sad about that scene. Uh, oh, sure. It's an extremely sad scene, but it's also like, that's what you deserve. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm not. I, I, yeah. But there's a, the tragedy that is that this guy that is just he just he can't yeah. he can't just be happy. He has to keep fucking it up. Right. It would yeah. be a terrible movie, like every Alexander Payne movie. <laughs> if he if he wound up with her, it would be it would be a terrible movie. I mean, in election in election, she wins the right person wins the election. Granted, it's based on a book, so like yeah, yeah. elections an yeah. amazing perfect movie. <laughs> And I don't know why this guy didn't realize that, like, yeah. this is what I should be doing. Yeah, um, yeah. Lexi, election, Matthew Broderick gets the comeuppance for yeah. doing, like, yeah, sure. a, a bunch of terrible fucking things. It also starts with Reese Witherspoon doing something, like, not doing something, but getting treated like she did something really horrible. Yeah. Oh, sure. So, I, yeah. Um, I still, I, I don't have an issue with it because the mo- everything ends well. Right. Like, all, like, it, it all goes the right way and the fucking lines are brilliant. It's, everything's perfect about that <laughs> movie. But um, I, I do think just to, to go back to that tra- to the, the this scene that we were talking about at the end of, of this film because it makes me think a little bit about Lewin Davis for a second because the tragedy of Lewin isn't so much him as his circumstances. Right. He's the choices that he's making are almost being made well, for him. There's a fatalistic. Mourning, yeah, he's mourning the loss of his of partner. his partner. He's you know a broke penniless artist. He, I mean. He can't Emmett, get a break. Emmett mm-hmm. Emmett gets breaks and he keeps yes. fucking him up. Right. That's the difference. That's yeah. why like something like Lewin, where you're just like, you just want this guy to get a break because you right. know, A, he's incredibly talented. B, he's a you know underneath a somewhat well, shitty exterior yeah. is a good human. This guy keeps getting breaks and just fucking them up, right. which is that that's that's his tragic flaw, as opposed to the world isn't isn't conspiring against Emmett. Right. It does feel like the world is conspiring against Lewin. Right. No, it's... Um, it has white male privilege. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In in nineteen thirties, uh, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, when it was like really, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> there was, there was you know, there there was only one type of person, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he has all that. He is, you know, if he could have just gotten his shit together, he would have. I mean, that's the point. If he just got his shit together, he would have been like, as everyone would know who he was. Yeah, I don't know what a worse worldview is. They're both pretty <laughs> shitty worldviews, to yeah, be honest. Right. Like the worldview that uh, the the Lewin Davis worldview that the world is inspiring against me is a pretty shitty worldview. It's just not true. The world doesn't conspire against people. Mm-hmm. Conspires against a movie character yeah. every once in a while. Sure, sure. But that, that, that's not real. The the I can't get my shit together worldview i'm my own worst enemy worldview Mm. is another shitty thing and like you're only your own worst enemy if you want to be your own worst enemy like like not this isn't a conscious thing this is like a deeply subconscious thing it's not a destiny thing it's yeah yeah. you 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 have to kind of assess your situation and want to change and clearly to me emmett didn't want to change he he wasn't necessarily like an alcoholic or someone who uh, had an, any addiction that would keep him from getting it done. He just had his own ego mm-hmm. and his own fear. Uh, like 
he it's like he's tripping over his own feet. Like the kleptomania thing is like his no need to steal. Certainly from it's yeah. the yes. self sabotaging quality to it. Yes, there is something actually like beautiful about him being the second best guitarist in the world. Right, and I mean the and and knowing the, it and yeah. the, and knowing it and knowing like like that's what makes the documentary interesting. It's yeah. it also so much about this documentary that I was when I was watching. I was like. Wow, if you cut out the talking heads and put a beginning where you see you see him and his crummy upbringing and his sick mom, and put an ending on it where he's like playing Carnegie Hall, you have Ray or Walk the Line or like yeah. any movie yeah. that came out like five yeah. years after that. That's like this musical biopic. Totally. Yeah. There's also something about. That line, which is repeated several times in the mm-hmm. film, the I'm the best guitarist in, except for this other guy. Like, yeah. that line, which is funny, it. and yeah. he knows it, but like that to me encapsulates the whole movie. That, that sort of tone of sadness and also recognition of talent and also a joke. Like, it's, I don't know. I think there's something special about that. I mean, I, you know, I, the, his acceptance yes. of being number two and, and his, seemingly subconscious need to stay number two right is pretty powerful out of respect for Django or out of fear like fear being the best like yeah, yeah. like what what it means to be the best this yeah self-sabotage and to that point uh the last scene of the film is basically he's on an awkward date with Gretchen Mall, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh who just sort of appears uh, at the end of sure. the film remember when Gretchen Mall was a thing guys yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh just that was the cable guy right what? No, I got the wrong girl. You're th- that's that's Leslie Mann in the Cable oh, Guy. So what yeah. was the Gretchen oh, Mall was uh, Rounders. celebrity Rounders. Rounders was, was, Rounders was her. Who was Betty Page? She was also Betty, Betty Page. Uh, and then she was in Broadway, uh, Boardwalk Empire, which she was actually yeah, quite was good in that. Very, she was this really is good her thing. This yeah. is her. This era. is her. Yeah. This is her. Let time. her have that she era. She looks like that, that period. She totally looks yeah. like that period. And she's a great actress. She's really good. So so Ray basically takes her out to go shoot rats. You know, classic Emmett. And can you imagine what his Tinder profile? Oh my god. Shooting rats. Shooting rats at different dumps. <laughs> so he takes her out, and then he he basically he's drunk, he's forlorn, uh, and he starts screaming, "I made a mistake! I made a mistake!" Yeah. Uh, and he smashes his guitar up against a tree, and she basically runs. Um, Smart move. And I remember seeing this movie at TIFF in 1999, um, and a person gasped as he as he was about to smash the guitar, mm-hmm. um, and it, it for whatever reason it made an impression on me. But I do think that there's. Uh, it's the perfect last scene with him mm-hmm. of him just crumpled on the ground crying under a smash guitar uh, under a street light and I, right you know and that's kind of that's that's where he belongs that's the last place we should see him this podcast has been a real roller coaster <laughs> this podcast has had so many emotions I mean it's also like as opposed to Lewin da- with Lewin Davis you yeah. get the impression that this is all he has. Like this guy can't even afford a winter coat. No. And he, you know, he has a child he never knew about. Like yeah. he goes to Chicago, like to try to make, this guy has nothing. Emmett doesn't have that. Emmett doesn't have, for whatever reason, doesn't have this feeling that he is, um, that Emmett doesn't, Emmett, Emmett is always confident that he will find another, he will find more work. He will, he will be able to eat. And sleep, even though like, his business manager says, like, you're going to end up in the poorhouse. He doesn't listen. Emmett is confident enough, has enough confidence in himself. He has found an, a moderate amount of success 
to feel like the like he if he smashes his guitar he'll get another one at some point. He'll always land on his. If Lewin Davis yeah. smashed a guitar, he he yeah. He could die. He could. He would die. He would starve. Yes. Yes. If yes. he did not have, if Lewin Davis was not in the bar the night that Bob Dylan played, he would. He would have given up and like. There there's is just, a, yeah. Yeah. There's so many moments for Lewin where you're where you're just like I know why he signs away the residuals for the song. Oh sure. But then of course the song's going to be a hit. Yeah. Like he needs the money so badly in that moment that he'll take the money this now. Des- the desperation yeah. and those are yeah. like. Like a chorus line gets me like that. Like movie, like movies about Hollywood, about like desperation, about like you just you're barely not going to be able to give up. Like give yeah, up. A chorus yeah. line's my favorite musical. Oh really? I love it so. <laughs> much. By the way, Nicole Fossey was in it. In the original production, I think in the movie version. You have to yeah, fact check. I don't that. love the movie. Version, yeah. Who's in the movie? Uh, Is it Michael? Douglas, am I, I making Michael that Douglas up? Plays the director, yeah, okay. which isn't the really chore- a, the choreographer. It's yeah. not really like a sing yeah. song and dance role, no, right? But because um, that's the point, it's like he's a choreographer now. And I like, I actually like like the visuals of that movie, but I love that so much. And yeah, I, and I love it for the reasons you love it. Mm-hmm. I, I love the the, the last the, the lowest rung. Yeah, my parents actually showed it to me to scare me out of <laughs> becoming an actress, <laughs> and it worked. That, I mean, I've, I've never seen the chorus line, so if mm-hmm. and when it comes here. We'll go. I'd love to. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I also love Hamilton. But. <laughs> D- different. And I love different. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, as uh, you know. Yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Little Shop of Horrors is a great film. So that was Sweet and Lowdown. Yeah. Yeah, she's so good in it. Yeah, we're we, going to so talk about Sweet and Lowdown now. Did, did you guys, we talked about doing a top five Woody list. Did you guys do that? I could do it. Um, yeah, I started making it. I can go first and give you guys a little bit of time to talk Mm -hmm. about it a little bit. Um, just because it feels like, I mean, a lot of movies here. Um, it was actually kind of tough for me, uh, in terms of picking a fifth one. Uh, for me, it's Bullets Bullets Over Broadway, Annie Hall, Hannah and Her Sisters, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Then it comes a kind of becomes a bit of a shit show. Uh, and then there's just, I'll just name a couple movies of his yeah. that I like. I like Vicky Christina, Purple Rose of Cairo, Broadway Danny Rose, Midnight in Paris. I really like Everybody Everybody Says I Love You. And there's a lot of stuff in Mighty Aphrodite that I like. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, Bullets Over Broadway hit me at the right moment. I was 14, I believe, mm-hmm. 14 or 15 when it came out. Um, and I just, I, and, and you can't find it anywhere. They don't, it's not on Blu-ray. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't know why, but it's not anywhere. So, you know, uh, for what that's worth. Uh, so I can't really even rewatch it if I wanted to. But um, Diane Weist in that movie, just, I mean, unbelievable. That The fact that she made up Don't Speak is just amazing. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, Hannah and Her Sisters, I think, is is peak Woody Allen. That's sort of him at the peak of his powers, probably. Um, it's also, I think the best Mia Woody right. combo mm-hmm. is Hannah and her sisters. Probably. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't even know it's close to be honest. Yeah. I just, I don't, I, his Igmar Berman stuff just feels like a guy who's, who's trying to do something that's just outside of his wheelhouse. No, I mean, I wouldn't call this an Igmar Berman movie, Bergman movie, but it's around that time. Stardust mm-hmm. Memories is a, that's a really good movie. Incredible yeah. and movie and a really fascinating movie. In 1980, he already had this like, how am I going to be remembered? Yep. Like my career is over and how are you going to talk? How are they going to talk about me? And I love that. That's super weird. So it's very, um, Fellini-esque actually. Like yes. it has a very eight and a half kind of quality yeah. to it of someone who's think, sort of, I think he's, yeah, aping that. Doing it, yeah, yes. yeah, for sure. Except for the aliens. 
Um, what are yours, Kenny? Mine, Manhattan, Hannah and her sisters, Blue Jasmine, Deconstructing Harry, Matchpoint. I like that list. That's my list. That's a good list. I wish Whitney. I had something more original than Annie Hall, but it's such a formative yeah. movie yeah, for yeah. me. Then, then Annie Hall, um, Sleeper. Cool. Um, solid. Yeah. Solid. Sweet. Uh, <laughs> Orgasmatron. Orgasmatron. <laughs> also, that he like he works in like a Polaroid store or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like he goes to the future, and it's all like giant fruit because we've all ruined our environment so much. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that's, that's relevant. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know who did the costumes for Sleeper? No. Joel Schumacher. <laughs> nice. Really. Mm-hmm. Cod pieces. Lots of lots of metallic. Lots yeah. of metallic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Blue Jasmine, which I still think is like her at the end crying on the bed, like oh completely out of her mind on the bench. I'm making sure I'm not missing anything, so I'm going through it. Just um, everybody says I love you, mm-hmm. or everyone says I love you. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then I so I it's so hard. Like. Um, <laughs> God, it's like everything you always wanted to know about sex, but was afraid to ask. It's it's like the Gene Wilder stuff. Alone. The Gene Wilder yeah. stuff is like, and also like him as a sperm, him as a sperm, <laughs> the giant boobs, yeah, like the and the foreplay four or five. Four, four. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it's there's there is something I remember way back when my dad first introduced me to Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. He played some of his records for me too. Mm-hmm. Um, they were probably CDs at the time, but. Yeah. Even just like his stand-up, like he just sure. he was a master of of just he just knows. So it, it it's that much more crushing. So that he's a fucking monster. But it's also like, did we not see this? All that? Like, <laughs> well, how did we too. miss this? Sure. Let's answer the question. Mm-hmm. Or try to at least. Yeah. Can we enjoy Woody Allen movies? I mean, I'm just going to say in the moment we just had here, yeah. where we just talked about a, our favorite films yeah. and our favorite moments. I mean. The answer is that we still get enjoyment out of some of his movies. Yeah. I mean, I think the, uh, it is easier for me to like the older movies, the pre-Sinyi movies, mm-hmm. um, because it, there is something, like, I feel like it's okay to watch it. Like, um, I feel like relics. I feel like relics. Yeah. Zelics. <laughs> super. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's a super hard question. Well, it's also like, I mean... How many high school productions of Don't Drink the Water are they still are they still doing? Like played again, played again, Sam. Mm-hmm. I read like you know I did a, like a dramaturgy assignment on it when I was in college. Really? Yeah, I have a minor in theater. It's completely useless except for some, <laughs> when for, I get when I get this. to say that sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Put you in front of a mic. <laughs> but yeah. it's, um, it's there. It, it, there is just something. I, I was telling Phil earlier about the New York Times article that A.O. Scott or the essay A.O. Scott wrote last year about how Woody Allen, it's, it's, you can't separate it, because Woody Allen so closely played himself and so closely wrote about himself or so closely wrote about the public perception of himself mm-hmm. um, and how that became defining to so many men and so many women who wanted men who were like, these intellectual New Yorkers um, in some way, whether they were the, the Carol Canes or like the, you know, they wanted to be like, you know, the, the, the Annie's it's, it's um, there is a, there uh, like, there is the, 
he is for a large percentage of the population, you cannot distance it. I did this story last year for Day Magazine about um, what do we do with the art of bad men now? Because it's one thing to say, to be A.O. Scott and say, I'm not going to watch any more of his films. I'm going to watch them with a different eye. I'm going to separate myself. It's one thing to be like, I'm not going to listen to R. Kelly music anymore. But if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, and you are teaching the arts in one way or another, because these Woody Allens, these Louis C.K.'s, these all these people have shut out so many creative types of, of their voices, oftentimes minority vo- female minority voices. When you need an example of something as an education tool, you don't have the option to do like you. Um, you you automatically go back to relying on it. I had a music teacher and at Missouri University of Missouri um, named Michael Buds, who's still really brilliant and very <laughs> very active. He taught a class called Jazz Pop and Rock, and he was talking. I remember him talking about Chuck Berry and saying, "You know, Chuck Berry was an awful person. I mean, this is a man, like he violated the Man Act. He um, he uh, he owned a restaurant and hid cameras in the women's bathroom stall." Mm-hmm. But he's an amazing guitar player Mm -hmm. and he helped push rock and roll into what we know it today. Can we separate the two of those? And he said that to me in 99. Um, So how, or to my class in 99. So can you not, how do you tell a story of, uh, like, how do you teach? The question becomes like for the next generation, how do you, Tell them about the arts of this, of, you know, the past 60, 70 years without tipping your hat to someone like Woody Allen, like when not giving all the credit to someone like Woody Allen. And I think that is going to be, you know, it's going to be hard. It's Kenny and I are parents. So like as a parent, how do you tell that? Like, how do you, how do you show something as simple as like one of the people, one of the professors I interviewed, um, he needed an example of breaking the fourth wall. And he had originally showed um, Kevin Spacey in uh, house of cards. And Mm -hmm. he was like, Nope, not going to do that one anymore. So he Mm -hmm. used uh, Matthew Broderick and Ferris. That was was my first choice. Yeah. I was thinking maybe Annie Hall. Yeah. And how do you, so like, but sometimes it's just as simple. Sometimes it's as simple as that, but it's also like, you can't, you can't erase the work that these people have done to pop culture and to cult, to cultural criticism and the and the vast Woody Allen's made what? What do we say? 50 50 films. Yeah. yeah, we can't erase that. The he shadow is, is long that these people do. Right. Yeah. I mean everything you're saying, I, I, I totally uh I totally I agree with what you're saying, mm-hmm. and I'm interested kind of in this conversation. When you bring up the parent thing, that really does kind of hit home, yeah. right? I'm never going to show my kids a Woody Allen movie or a Louis episode the way I would have before. Basically, like I would have been, I would have shown them a bananas, for instance, as let's enjoy this together. Um, And that's, if we ever watch Woody Allen, I remember another point I was going to (laughs) make. If we ever watch Woody Allen movies, it would only be if they are cinephiles. Mm-hmm. And they are looking for they would some have examples to to of certain types of movies. And I would preface it by, like, for instance, a really good example is, mm-hmm. uh, would I ever show them Chinatown? Right. Only if 
they were they were really interested in making films and they wanted to make uh, noir films. And I said, all right, well, understand the guy who made this is a total piece of shit. But and you yeah. show them double indemnity first. Uh, but anyway. Not me. But um, <laughs> wow, all no, right, not me. I mean, I like I, I just that I'm I'm one of those people who just thinks Chinatown is Chinatown is a great movie. I'm not. Like, I'm not. I'm just. just I was just being. Um, no, I know. Whatever. I mean, whatever, bro. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, I, I think there's still a place for the art, but I think as, you know, as a, as a parent or an educator, you really do have to preface it by saying like, right. Like, would you ever do what Phil's dad did and said that you would never sit them down and like, be well, like, let's, dad. yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I would. I mean, when I hopefully have children, I yeah. don't intend on exposing them to Annie Hall. Yeah, it would never but, be. Let's enjoy this together and make this one of our movies. Yeah. It would be. All right, like, look. This is not our family. Like, this is not yeah. going to be our family. We, you know, Thanksgiving tradition of watching. No. But like, Can I, ask you, I, have, I have a question for you, actually, as a, as a New Yorker. Yeah. How do you separate Woody Allen from New York? You know, I mean, like, so like New York cinema, right? Like he's top five, I mean, it's like right? In terms of filmmakers that have defined, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah. number one. Oh, he is number one. Okay, yeah. yeah no I, question. Because it's it's just he, he defined a city, right? It's it's. I mean, it, it, granted, it's a very limited view yes, of, yes, of yes, the city, yes, yes. but it's still a native New Yorker's view of the city. It, yeah. yeah, it's the New York I want to live in. Um, I've always said that I want to live in Woody Allen's New York. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to live on sure. the upper. I want to live in the Upper West Side. I want to go to Lincoln Center. I you're I, in an apartment that costs four hundred dollars a month, even if it has spiders. I want <laughs> four hundred dollars yeah. a month is the only part of that movie that doesn't hold up, yeah. um, unless it's rent controlled. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I yeah, I always so so as a New Yorker, I mean, it's the same. The other guy, I mean, is Spike Lee, who is not a bad man, but those are the two New York Scorsese and Scorsese. I. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I'm, yeah. I'm asking. Like, I. I mean, like, I'm not a New Yorker, what's but the quintessential Scorsese New York movie. Mean Street. Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon. That's it's that's Lumet. Oh, that's right. Lumet. But I mean, I. I do think that. I mean, Taxi Driver, Mean Streets. These yeah. are pretty quintessentially New York movies. But I, Scorsese, I think of is not those two. Those obviously a million people do think of that. Yeah. But like you know, to me, it's Gangs of New York. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Goodfellas. And yeah. It's, Yes, it's so weird. I don't associate Casino Goodfellas and, with with New York. Really? Because it really doesn't feel like New York. No. To me. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's, it's a Queens movie. and the kind of Queens, isn't yeah. it? Or yeah. yeah, the Lufthansa heist. Right. So, <laughs> Although every time I hear of Lufthansa flight go off, I'm like, oh, oh Goodfellas. Goodfellas. Oh, I just think yeah. of him in the shower. <laughs> I guess I guess Scorsese's obviously a really good answer too. Um, and I just it was bringing it, out the dead. It's just it was it was one of those things that that occurred to me because as you're talking about like the 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 shadow that is cast and the impression that he left uh not just as a i mean not just in cinema but just like in community like the community that is new york you talk about how like this idea of of the version of new york that he painted you know it's the the thing is and this is an indelible impression this is a good thing not a bad thing but i mean i I think about it with baseball a little bit when the steroid stuff came out late 90s early 2000s you'd still have people like in San Francisco, who would ride for Barry Bonds, right? <laughs> After everything came out, everyone knew. People in Texas ride for Roger Clemens. People in St. Louis ride for Mark McGuire. Um, to the end, right? These days, people are willing to give up on these people. So oh, yeah. uh, at least with Woody Allen, like everyone's like, all right, he's canceled. Fine, he's canceled. We'll move on. I mean, it's kind of happening with Michael Jackson right now. Right, sure. Um, what's it's what's interesting? R. Kelly, like the black community, is has like 
basically given up on R. Kelly. They're just like, I, yeah, we've had Again, enough because of this. Even we, no, these are things shows. we knew about forever, but it wasn't until the documentary where you're like, you see it and you're, you can't avoid it. Yeah, we gotta, got to move on. Well, what's interesting, I was listening to Little Gold Men earlier. Mm-hmm. They were talking about movies that are coming out this summer mm-hmm. and movies that they're excited about, stuff that's a can and, and uh, Once Upon a Time in America came up. You know, and I'm going to be very interested to see how that how Tarantino right, is welcomed or unwelcomed. Right. It's super interesting that people are so like are excited about this movie. Yeah. And I'm like, do you not remember all the reports? Like Uma or what Thurman's it's about. like Yeah. Well not what it's <laughs> well, about, like Uma Thurman's too. New York Times story. That, yeah. Yeah. I yes, obviously there's that, but I I'm 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 speaking to that. Also, the if the subject matter like, is what it is, not, let's maybe let's not sensationalize Charles Manson, Sharon Tate, and Char- yeah. you know, and all of this. Sharon Tate's horror, and everyone else who died because of it. It's yeah. now again, we don't know what the movie is yet. Who the hell knows? I think the film will be warmly embraced at Cannes, most likely, yeah, yeah. and then it will get stateside, and most likely, my guess is it'll do fine. But I don't think that it's going to be uh, a zeitgeisty hit. I we'll think see. that we'll see. But it's just it is interesting the passes that some people get, mm-hmm. um, and why they get them, and how we sort of you know we, we live in a post Me Too world. Politicians get passes on some things that they shouldn't, and it's it's just it's it's not okay. But it's interesting how. Look, society seems to choose. I think that personally, what Peter Farrelly would do on his sets, whipping out his penis, mm-hmm. is on par or worse than anything I heard Quentin do. And he won the fucking best picture. And I think that what yeah. the screenwriter did, confirming the bullshit Trump thing, yeah. is the kind of thing that should get most people canceled. And he won the fucking best Screenwriting Screen Oscar. Yeah. So couple that with things like, and, uh, this is not to be a, b- a big political statement because yeah. this is really not about Joe Biden, but like- I think about that a lot. This yeah. idea that like, we're, 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 like the country in general is not where we are. Mm-hmm. And Joe Biden comes out and gets 40% and um, is probably going to win the primary. And again, I'm perfectly fine with Joe Biden in general, but like- he has his issues. People are forgetting about the issues. People are, you know, pe- people. Are, there's almost this backlash to the to the backlash is much stronger. You know, I, I think um, I think there's a big percentage of this country that doesn't want to be told what to do. And unless there's a massive smoking gun, like in R. Kelly's case, Mike, Michael Jackson's case, Roman Polanski, Louis C.K., mm-hmm. Woody Allen, um, these guys are going to pass us. So yeah, I mean, Quentin's it's going to get a pass. I, I imagine Quentin gets a pass. I, I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying that the film's going to flop because I mean, it also has two of the biggest movie stars in the world in it. It's going to do fine. Uh, I just think it's interesting how we choose to turn a blind eye to oh, some sure. things. Some things we choose to turn a blind eye things, to, and sometimes we yeah. don't. But all that being said, that was sweet and low down. Um, we do a rating system on uh, on this podcast. This podcast was great. It was like this every, was, everything. This I podcast was brilliant. This was what I wanted it to be. I, yeah. like, Truthfully, oh, yeah. I think we we it was a minefield that I think we danced across. The, and Woody, the Woody thing was so it was yeah. so perilous for us. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, but I think we did oh. a good job. Yeah, it's so. Woo. All right, just Roman Polanski. We got so many fucking people. Oh my god! Now, I can give it at six, and I can. I don't think on. I can do Polanski, yeah. but yeah. We should only have you on for deeply problematic for deeply problematic people. Yeah. We, but, can, uh, we can so, bring out all the Harvey films. From, so there were a lot in 99. There were a lot. We, uh, we rank our films suck. on this podcast. <laughs> so 
from zero to 99, zero being the lowest, 99 being the highest, 50 being the pass or fail. Uh, we rank it, if we saw it in 99, what we thought of it then, ranking it before we did this podcast and then after the podcast. Okay. So to see if there's been any changes, I'll go first just because why not? In 99, saw this at TIFF, quite liked it. Probably would have given it an 88 back then. I thought it was a really good film. Uh, before this podcast, it went down to 83. Uh, I, I know, Kenny, I'm sorry. I like this movie. I don't know what to tell you. I know. Uh, after this podcast, it has gone down. Uh, I'm now at a 79. Um, and still high. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I have my issues with this film. I have my issues with this filmmaker. Um, but I think this is an interesting film in his oeuvre. I think that it stands out. Um, there are a lot of movies that don't. Mm-hmm. It's a little atypical for a bunch of reasons. Um, I do think it has two very good performances at, at its center. Um, and I kind of like the, you know, the, the, some of the cheats and some of the fun that he has with the, the way that the narrative is structured. So, uh, Whitney? You want me to go? Yeah. Um, so thinking back to when I saw this movie, Sitting in front of my small screen television in my apart my apartment uh-huh. in my college apartment, I didn't love it then. Mm-hmm. I thought it was okay, but again, I it was something more along the line of what eventually would be Match Point, and it was I had wanted. I knew I was. I go. I it wasn't. It wasn't that I expected it to be this way, but I had wanted it to be a little bit more like of the movies, the, the Woody Allen movies that I loved, sure. which, you know, like the Annie Hall, the bananas, the, you know, sleeper kind of classic, kind of classic yeah, yeah. movies. And, um, even everyone says, I love you was, is, uh, more along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably at the time I felt, I mean, I'm sure I saw it because I'm sure I saw it because I was like, Oh, this was nominated for Oscars. I should watch it. Sure. Um, and I probably at the time gave it like, a 70. Okay. Um, and going back on my mind before this podcast, I'm watching it again and thinking about the, the Sean Penn and Woody Allen implications of it all. And the, you know, the casting of an actress of, uh, you know, a speaking actress in this part. Um, and the horrible portrayals of like the black actor and like the minimization of the black performers in it too, which is something we discussed. Yeah, of jazz. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, yeah which stars. by the way, we didn't no. Serious about. problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, would I probably would have, and like in remembering how much I don't like when he gets very elitist and like midnight in Paris type of thing. Um, I probably, uh, gosh, I was probably, I was really prepared to like, give it a probably a 45 or 50 uh-huh. after this podcast and like relating it to someone like Lewin Davis or something like that. I, I just don't think it's a very good movie and I'll probably give it back to maybe like a 70 something. And that's almost solely because of Samantha Morgan's performance. Kenneth. Mm, <laughs> I experienced. Did you see it in 99? Never seen it. Before. Okay. Um, seen it twice. Yes. Cause I watched it before yes. when, so the first time I watched it, uh, I thought it was a bad movie. And I was going to give it something really bad, like a 30. Um, when I rewatched for this podcast, um, I gave it a 55. I thought there was, I thought it was a better film than I had initially, uh, initially thought. I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of redeeming stuff here. Rats. Yeah, they well, shoot rats. They rats. shoot rats. Yeah. yeah. The only so good, many rats. Only good rat is a dead rat. This is true. Um, 
I had this. Did this podcast in any way, shape, or form change your opinion? Such a lame thing to say. It totally changed my opinion. It's still a 55, <laughs> but it changed, but it, it's a 55 for different reasons. Cause there was a point during this podcast where we were just like tearing it apart. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there's going to be the thirties. Like this is going to be just, we're just going to crush yeah. it. And then like at the end, getting a little more in Emmett's character, the way it relates to kind of my life, kind of a fear of success thing. Um, I think that there is enough there that I, I'm going to think about this movie. I'm going to chew on this movie. Um, I still have s- enormous problems with it. Um, but at least he didn't give the hero a happy ending. No. So, so that's something. It, it is I agree. Something. I agree. It is something. Right. So I, 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 I actually, I'll give it a 60. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll that's- pump it up a little bit, mm. but um, it's not going to be, it's not going to be winning any nibies. In the 100 and 100, the illustrious Nibby Awards, the Nibbies in the 102 <laughs> review. So, trademark pattern. Is it going to win any ICs? No, the ICs, excuse me. It might get it might get nominated though, nominated for an ICs. It might two? be, I, I might nominate. I mean, I, th- I, th- I think, I think Samantha Morton will probably be. Nominated. I think yeah. she's tremendous. You do? I really love her in this now, movie. We have now, I believe, outside of Catherine Keener, she's we, the only one we've not done of the nominations and of Catherine best supporting Keener's actress. Eventually win it, yeah. but. Uh, we've done Samantha Morton, we've done Chloe Sevigny, we've done Tony Collette and Angelina Jolie. We've done Angelina the winner. Um, Sam Matthew Morton will absolutely not be nominated for me. The other <laughs> three are in the running. Though, uh, so, you know. So next week, we're doing Play It to the Bone. Have you seen Play It to the Bone, Whitney? I don't remember this movie. Uh, this is a Woody Harrelson, uh, Antonio Banderas, Ron Shelton. It is another Woody joint. Uh, Ron Shelton of uh, of um, Wet Can Jump, Bull Durham, Bull Durham uh, Tin Cup. Cup. Yeah, uh, it's it's a weird movie. We have a great cast. Whoa, we we recorded this. In a weird movie. Yeah, who would have thought? Whoa. Right, as a boxer, they play boxers. That that part I kind of figured. Yeah, this is a less. This is not a weird on purpose movie. Yeah. No, no, no. This is a movie that that is just odd. The tone of it's just very odd. Misfire. It is a misfire, but like I have to say, first of all, enjoyed the hell out of the episode, which we recorded quite some time ago. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a great episode. Christian Lander, who's a great writer, he's on um, Blackish and wrote um, stuff white people like way back in the day, and oh, he's yeah. great. Uh, he kind of invented a genre. He kind of did. Yeah, he did. He's great. Um, and you guys talk a lot about wrestling on the episode. Talks. So anyone who's into wrestling should definitely tune into this, this is episode. For all the Bill Simmons fans <laughs> who, after he stole our podcast, after he stole our shit, yeah, we were put. We we decided to put a fucking Ron Shelton. <laughs> Dear you, Simmons, play it to the bone. I don't think they're going to cover no, play it to the bone. Because they're playing, they're, they're doing all like the top level. Oh, yeah, of course shit. they are. They're only yeah. doing 15 episodes. 15 they're just, episodes. Of, of, of just like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's come, at, come at me, Bill. <laughs> uh, it's a weird movie. It's an interesting episode. It's a lot of fun. It's just a very, it's Ron Shelton, who I don't think has done a film since Play to the Bone. Am I crazy? I think I mean, he's done one or two. Is this the reason why? Well, because I think that he he has a very like a very alpha. Ma- I mean, as you can tell from the credits, yeah. and I don't know if it's that he became out of touch, which is possible, or if that lane doesn't really exist anymore. But it just it's a, it's a weird film. There's a there's a generation of people, yeah, who uh, would like for that lane to still exist. Oh, hundred percent. Those. I mean, I was going to talk about White Man Can Jump during this podcast because that's another movie where I can remember a protagonist, Woody Harrelson, in this in this situation, not being able to accept all the gifts he's been given and necessarily sabotaging himself. Yeah. 
Um, That's interesting. And it has. A, I haven't seen that film in forever. One of the greatest. I should, I should ever watch. Made. I should watch that film again. Truly, one of the, one of the greatest movies ever made. And the ending is bittersweet. I should watch it again. Um, I mean, I think I love Bull Durham. I mean, I I, I do yeah. think that he. I mean, and that's the thing. He does something very odd in Play to the Bone. Uh, Susan Sarandon in Bull Durham is is incredible. Oh sure, she's all three of them are. Great. They're all yeah, yeah, they're all great. But like again, a fully realized, tremendous female character mm-hmm. at the center of that film. Right. And could easily have just been like a two dimensional, hundred yeah. percent, just some even yeah. one dimensional, yeah, easily. And he and and same, I would say the same for Rene Russo in Tin Cup, yeah. um, Rosie Perez in in, in White Man Can't Jump, and he tries to do that with his actual wife, and completely fails. <laughs> it's very strange. So he did Hollywood Homicide. And oh right, dark, uh, some other movie after Hollywood the the uh, the Harrison Ford, Harrison uh, Ford Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. He moved away from sports, but he also wrote Bad Boys 2, which is not bad. Um, the title being obviously a misnomer. Bad Boys 2? Yeah. He said it's not bad. But- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There we go. It's just um, Boys 2. It's just Boys 2. Good Boys. <laughs> Good Boys 2. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Whitney, you're on Twitter, correct? I am on Twitter. What is your handle for our um, listeners if they're is, interested in following sure. you? It is Lois Lane 79 because I look like Terry Hatcher and Lois and Clark was on you when I was in the sure movie. do. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny's been sitting here the entire yeah, time being trying like, to be like, who, who is it? What desperate housewives yeah, what character is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm also a klutz, much like Susan on this one. Oh, well, there, so there you go. go. Uh, you're great on Twitter and all of your articles are fantastic. People should sought out any of your work. Um, really, really great stuff. Uh, Kenny is at Nybart on Twitter, mm-hmm. tweeting all the time now. Just, mm-hmm. just, at the rewatch. Just at the rewatch. <laughs> Stop stealing our shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Just harassing this poor guy. No, no, they deserve it. These uh, rich guys. These rich guys stole that stole our, our idea know full well that we exist. Uh, I am at PM Iscove on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Podcast Like 1999. Please rate, review, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. Podcast Like It. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.